Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton, granddaddy of them all, Green. And his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach Stithabiscuit Barlow. Are you is stiff biscuit the opposite of soggy biscuit? The opposite of limp biscuit. Oh. Oh. Yeah, okay. no, you fair, went you went real enough. gross there. I was just making fun of uh the name of limp biscuit, which we'll be I, hearing I, a I lot. I forgot. I Yeah, this is a very limp biscuity show. You know what I realized? In a second, I'm about to ask you what we're what, what are we going to be talking about today? And wouldn't it be wild if I didn't actually know? Wouldn't it be crazy if I walked in here and I didn't know what we were going to be talking about today? It, it, that's a peek behind the curtain. Like the whole audience thinks that you don't know. <laughs> what if I ask you? Okay, okay. I like it. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for a little while. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry. Because as you'll soon find out, like very soon, I I don't either. So Zach, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, Peyton, today we're going to be talking about, uh, uh, hey Peyton, don't, don't be mad, okay? You promise, you promise not to be mad? Sure. I don't. I don't actually know. I don't actually know what we're going to be talking about today. I didn't know. God damn it, Zach. (laughs) I'm so angry. How could you not know what we're going to be talking about today? Today we're talking about WrestleMania 17. Or WrestleMania X7 as it is, like, styled for no fucking reason. For no fucking reason at all. I don't know why, and they still say 17, there is and they do point... this the next year with... Oh, sorry. Were you going to say one point where they do say X7? Yes. Really? Yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, I think it is, it's not the announce table, I think it might be, uh, the Fink Man himself. That at some point says oh, WrestleMania how, X7. How and I heard it and I was like, what oh, the fuck? Okay. Are we just saying Roman numerals? Yeah, I think that? that's when he's announcing the attendance record. I don't know why they did that. I'm honestly really curious. And they do that again next year with WrestleMania 18 is X8. But then it's the number 8 instead of the word spelled out. I will say, you this don't... is probably considered among people as being the best WrestleMania of all time, and also the weirdest spelled WrestleMania of all time. <laughs> you know why I think they did that, though? We're, this is, what, 2001 when this happens? Or is this 2000? Yes, this is 2001. Oh. Yes, because WrestleMania 16 is actually just called WrestleMania 2000, oh. which is weird because we skipped so many years. <laughs> Because yeah, what, what happens when we get to the actual 2000th edition of WrestleMania? What are they going to call it? There's already been a WrestleMania 2000. That is an excellent point. 
They've got a lot of WrestleManias to fill. We've got, like, a thousand-plus years, almost 2,000 years of wrestling to, to, to do here. Yeah, and I fully believe that there will still be WrestleManias in 2,000 years. God, I hope so. But I think that the reason they spelled it that way is because it's the early 2000s, and having X in your name was just edgy. Okay, but they could have just put regular Roman numerals like they normally do. Oh, oh, you know what they're going to do for WrestleMania 2000? It'll be WrestleMania Extreme. Or they'll call it WrestleMania 16. That would be that would be kind of fun. And then have whatever wrestlers are wrestling in 2000 years be the wrestlers that were in WrestleMania 2000 the first time. This is getting too complex. Stop me. Which is going to be kind of not that great, because WrestleMania 2000 kind of sucked. So. <laughs> you know. Well, let's get into it. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, uh, because I don't think we've ever actually covered a WrestleMania on here, and I don't think, I mean, you've never actually watched a whole WrestleMania, have No, you? I haven't. And let me tell you, I am just manic with wrestling right now. Well, at least you're not depressed with wrestling. <laughs> Wrestle Depressia uh, is a much worse pay-per-view. It stars only <laughs> divorced gold dust. Oh. Well, so WrestleMania, if you don't know by now, is the Super Bowl World Series, you know, NBA championship of wrestling. Uh, it's the grandest stage of them all, the granddaddy of them all. The show of shows, the showcase of the immortals. Yes, I am on the Wikipedia page for WrestleMania and reading the list of nicknames. <laughs> Man, and do they really take it take it pretty seriously here? This intro package that we get is so fucking like dramatic, dude. Well, let me ask you this. I, I'm I'm curious. Does this show feel special to you? Does it feel more special than other shows? Yes, absolutely. Hands down. Uh, yeah, 100%. Well, that's good. And that's what the, it's designed to do. You know, it is, I mean, for, as far as, like, what's actually happening, it's just a regular wrestling show, much like the Super Bowl is just a regular football game. But there's a way to make it feel special, and I, I think this one really does it. Um, there are, as someone who grew up, you know, wrestling, WrestleMania being the one pay-per-view I got to watch, uh, you know, there are some things about this WrestleMania that I thought, huh, that's a little bit weird to do at a WrestleMania. And I'll, I'll kind of get into that a little bit, but, uh, as far as the, the background of WrestleMania, it's been around since 1985, um, it was, you know... It's the longest-running professional wrestling event in history, um, and it was uh, it was created. You know, it was originally just like on closed circuit television, and was originally like a way, you know, to compete with other wrestling, you know, companies that were on cable um, at the time, like what would later become WCW. Ted Turner, you know, airing stuff on TBS and stuff, and it was also a way to kind of get pop culture in like make it like a pop culture event you know the first wrestlemania we have mr t wrestling with hulk hogan uh and we have muhammad ali as a celebrity guest we have cindy lopper 
you know, so it's kind of a way to put wrestling on a national stage, and it's really a big credit for why wrestling got so popular. Yeah, I mean, it is spectacular here. I can see where, like, the wrestling community would be talking about this pretty nonstop because I see a lot of things happening and a lot of fanfare, like you were saying. music Surprise musical guest, Motorhead, out of nowhere. Um, oh, oh, we're going to get to Motorhead because I, I really can't wait. I can't wait to talk about the music. And uh, although I will say this, I was thinking, I was, I was like, man, all this music is like so like shitty. But then I thought about it. And I was like, put myself in 2001. And I was like, man, this would be like, I'd be fucking like, I would think this is so cool. These are the fucking like, thinking back on 2001. It, like if I really thought about it. In 2001, that would have been awesome. Hearing Limp Biscuit. Yeah, hearing a lot much. of Limp Biscuit. Hearing a lot of Limp Biscuit, and not even like a lot of Limp Biscuit songs. Really, we only hear two different Limp Biscuit songs, but and one of them is like, just played over and over again. Yeah, we hear we hear that one specifically like seven times. So the the theme music for this WrestleMania is uh, "My Way" by Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Um, and we hear it constantly just uh, throughout this show. Blaring at all times. You know what? I would almost, uh, I'm not going to say I would have this, but I would almost have the intro, I don't know if music's the right word, for the right to censor play every time <laughs> that My Way is supposed to be playing. But I will say My Way wins that by a narrow, by a thread. Well, yeah, because it is an actual it is actual music versus an alarm clock. <laughs> um, it's you know, and just two years later at WrestleMania nineteen, um, the WWE will announce Limp Biscuit as the WWE's favorite band. So, a title you know, that cannot not be stripped you. from them. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! What if? What if? Someone, uh, some other band now is like, we want to be the WWE's favorite band. And Limp Biscuit's like, well, if you want our title, you're going to have to wrestle us for it. I see. I don't think that, that, like, I don't think anyone, like, will ever be. Uh, maybe the Chris Warren band who did DX, but even, I think Limp Biscuit has surpassed even them. Because, yeah, think about it. So, WrestleMania 17, it, Limp Biscuit is, like, the main, is the main theme. Two years later at WrestleMania 19, Limp Biscuit is also the main theme, and they play live. And they do Undertaker's music. Oh live. my god. We really gotta do WrestleMania 19, I feel like, now at this point. Limp but let's Biscuit do WrestleMania Mania 17 or, or, or X7. <laughs> um... I do like that opener. It's very dramatic, but it's very cool because we're we're seeing like the greatest moments in WrestleMania history. Hogan slamming Andre, Shawn Michaels, you know, coming, you know, zip lining down to the ring. It's it really puts you in a like a great mood of like, yes, I can't wait. It reminds me of being a kid and like watching WrestleMania and getting so fucking excited and running around the whole house, ripping my shirt off like Hulk Hogan. There is one thing that I am, okay, that bothers me, I guess, about this intro package. There is a scene okay. 
of a couple in like a dilapidated car watching WrestleMania. How are they getting pay-per-view in their car? <laughs> that is a good point. Well, they're sitting in that dilapidated car. That's actually uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hardy. <laughs> a dilapidated car! <laughs> it took you a minute to get it. But. It did, it did. <laughs> you can edit it to where it makes it sound like it got it immediately and was very responsive. No, I'm not going to give you that. that no. So uh, we go to ringside. The one detractor to this is that we have we don't have Jerry Lawler on here. We have Jim Ross and Paul Heyman because ah. uh, Jerry Lawler had or he hadn't been fired, but he he quit because his wife at the time had been fired, so he quit in protest. Then divorced her and came back. Um. Yeah, and I really don't care for Paul Heyman too much. I like Paul Heyman. But not as a commentator, because Paul Heyman created ECW, or oh, really? not created, but was was the creative head of ECW. He was also the creative head of SmackDown during the Ruthless Aggression era at the best time in SmackDown history. So Paul Heyman is great, just yeah. not as a commentator. Just not not in. He's this great role. as a manager. He's great in an on screen role, just not as a commentator. Although that does bring me to this point, and it's important important to kind of denote where we are in history. A lot of people consider this event to be the end of the Attitude Era, and we talked about that a little bit in our Stone Cold episode where we, we actually talk about the main event of this episode. But uh, this is the end of the Attitude Era for a lot of people uh, for a lot of different reasons, so this is a big, important show for that reason. Also, one week before this, uh, the WWF bought out WCW. Just one week before. Um, and it was a pretty big deal obviously, because it's the number one wrestling promotion buying out the number two wrestling promotion. Um, And it was done in a really cool way because, as you know, we have Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro, and they Vince McMahon came out on Monday Night Raw, and on Monday Nitro, he was, they they aired his, his speech on Monday Nitro. So Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro were like, showing the same thing. Oh, man. man. Announcing he had bought WCW. Which, um, like, had to be a celebration for those watching Monday Night Raw and, like, uh, a dunking for those watching Monday Night Nitro. And not only those watching it, those performing on it. Because, Did they not I mean, know? they didn't really know what was... Well, okay, they knew they had been bought out. They knew that Vince McMahon was going to come out. But they didn't really know what the future of Nitro was going to be. There was a lot of discussion to have the WWF repl- like have SmackDown and Nitro and like replace Raw with Nitro and have the WCW wrestlers on there or oh. vice versa or have Raw and Nitro. So there was a lot of discussion that WCW was going to continue in some form. WWF fucks up the buying of WCW. Uh, and not just them. It's also because Time Warner had given the biggest stars these non-compete or like guaranteed contracts to where they could just sit out and keep getting paid instead of wrestling, which most of them did because you know, like, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Um, yeah. So when WWF brings over all these WCW wrestlers, they can't bring over Kevin Nash or Hulk Hogan or Goldberg or DDP. So they have to bring over 
Lance Storm and Sean Stasiak and Buff Bagwell. People like a bunch of. Uh, uh, do you all, recognize any of those names? Yeah, I recognize every <laughs> single one of them because they're all wrestling heroes that are definitely in my <laughs> Hall of Fame. But, and we do get into this a little bit with the Shane and Vince feud, but in storyline, Shane McMahon announces, hey, the name on the contract is McMahon, but it's not Vince McMahon, it's Shane McMahon. So that starts off this storyline of WWF versus WCW, which is WWF versus WCW in name only, because it's Vince Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon, who are both from the WWF. And all the WCW guys are no names. Go for it. What do you think a Snickers Crunch Bar tasted like? Yeah, I guess you're right. That that was, like, who they were sponsored by, and that does not exist anymore. I'm going to look up what a Snickers Crunch Bar is. I really want to know what a Snickers Crunch Bar tasted like because the whole time I'm You know, we're dunking on it, but honestly, I'd fucking eat a Snickers, something called a Snickers Crunch Bar. That sounds delicious. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, damn, I want to taste a Snickers Crunch Bar. Your advertising is working. It's just working 18 years too late. I did find a recipe for it. That is not the center is a is a nougat with peanuts and ooey gooey caramel, i.e. heaven. I agree. <laughs> Momontimeout.com. Um but all that those stuff about WCW did I did have a point with that. I wanted to get back to Paul Heyman because WCW closed not too long after ECW did. ECW was a much different scenario in where those guys did not know they were ending because People were still buying their pay-per-views. People were still selling out their crowds. But they weren't... Pay-per-views and crowds don't necessarily always translate into money if you're not on TV and you're not really selling a lot of merchandise and if it's just a niche crowd. So the ECW guys thought they were going to have another show and then fucking Paul Heyman, the like lead person of ECW... Shows up as a commentator on WWF all of a sudden. And they're like, well, I guess our jobs are gone. Fuck. Apparently to this day, Paul Heyman still owes the the ECW wrestlers thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'm sure. Because they were wrestling without getting paid. They were wrestling without getting paid, and I think we mentioned this on our ECW episode. They were, like, working, like, like, Tommy Dreamer would, like, also, like, you know, answer phones, like, for people who called to, like, buy t-shirts, and, like, Bubba Dudley would, like, call to book events, so, like, the wrestlers were, like, also the office workers. And that is rough. I mean, it sucks in any job to work without getting paid, but especially a wrestler, where you're having to put your body through all of that, and you're getting nothing for it? Jesus Christ. So it's why a lot of wrestlers jump ship to WWF and, like, you know, a lot of the diehard ECW fans would be like, you sold out, but it's like, you can't really sell out when you're not getting paid for something. Uh, Yeah, dude, and I would sell out again in a heartbeat. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? Uh, And even Paul Heyman sold out, so, you know, there you go. Anyway, all that to be said, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman are the commentators. You know, Jim Ross is my favorite wrestling commentator ever 
Uh, Paul Heyman may be one of my favorite creative people, but not really my favorite commentator. So he had this weird period where he was a commentator. I don't know that it worked out too well, but it got him in the door to WWF to start, you know, being the creative genius behind the best period in SmackDown history. So, you know, probably all for good reasons. So, uh, we've talked for 20 minutes uh, before actually starting the show. So, you, you ready to get into it? Or, or, or do you have anything else to say maybe about Snickers Crunch Bar or Limp Biscuit? Uh, I think, okay, I do. This is it. I do think it's kind of weird that we have Snickers Crunch Bar and Limp Biscuit side by side because I imagine the Snickers Crunch Bar is very crunchy, whereas the Limp Biscuit is sort of the opposite texture of that. But now we can get into the real show. <laughs> You're saying Snickers Crunch Bar is the exact opposite of Limp Biscuit. So someone needs to start a band they, called oh, Snickers Crunch Bar? Yeah, if someone started a band called Snickers Crunch Bar, everyone would think they sucked. For a while, but then after they sort of died out, everyone would realize that they were awesome the whole time. Hmm. I think that might be very true of a Snickers Crunch Bar. Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, the fact that they're not around anymore and the fact that I want one so badly does kind of point to that, doesn't it? You want what you can't have. So let's start off with our first champ, our first match, a championship match for the Intercontinental title. Uh, there's a lot of title matches on this show. The commentary team mentions there are six title matches in this whole show. This is going to be our very first one. Nice to see that they're actually uh, treating the titles pretty well on this show. Yeah, I noticed there's a lot of title matches. And I have a question about title matches. Okay. Do the titles, like, okay... Because we have at one point, like, the European title go up. Does that mean yeah. anything, the fact that it's called the European title? It's not, like, just fought for Absolutely in not. In fact, only two Europeans have ever won the title. Okay, so it's just a title with, and its name just so happens to be the European title. But that just Yeah, means it's just nothing. their secondary title. Um... So, well, like, really, it's only more like a tertiary title because the Intercontinental title, I would say, would be the the secondary title, whereas European would be like the thirdiary title. <laughs> um, yeah, different companies have their different secondary title, like the Intercontinental title. To me, Intercontinental is just technically like just a synonym for world title. Yeah. Is it not? You're completely right. And then later, SmackDown has its secondary title, the United States Championship, whereas it's on par with the Intercontinental title. But wouldn't, technically speaking, the Intercontinental title be above the U.S. title? Wait, actually, we might be getting our words mixed up because Intercontinental might mean, like, within the continent, so that might be, like, within the, the continent American title. But then it's still higher than the United States Championship, right? That is an excellent point, because that does have Canada and Central America in there as well. And Mexico. Don't forget Mexico. Well, that's what I mean. When I meant Central America, I just meant all that biz. Mm, okay. So we have our Intercontinental Championship. Chris Jericho is the champ versus William Regal, who's also the WWF commissioner. A title, I guess, they got rid of once they started having separate brands and general managers. But, you know, we've seen a lot of different commissioners in our time here. We had Sergeant Slaughter. We had Shawn Michaels. 
Mick Foley, William Regal. I believe William Regal's the last person to hold that title, but and just I an would interesting. Say the worst. And why? Why is that? I don't know. I just don't think that Regal is as fun as the other commissioners. He's he's not as fun. But li- listen, William Regal is probably one of a person I consider to be a very underrated wrestler because I think he's a very good wrestler. He's just never had that one thing that kind of gets him to the top. Are you uh, telling me? But that I like Regal. British man is not a good enough gimmick. No, because so many people have that. It gimmick. worked for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, did it not? No, wait, no. he wasn't British. You're right, you've corrected me on this numerous times. He was just from Connecticut. Ah, he was thing. new British. New England. Uh, Regal gets huge boos coming out. I, I, I do think it's interesting that Jericho opens the show this year, and then at the next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 18, he's actually in the main event. Oh, really? Which I think is is pretty interesting. You know, Jericho's only like a year into his career. He started in 2000, so. Yeah, because, I mean, doesn't Um, Jericho wrestle also for, like, for fucking ever? He's still wrestling. Okay, that answers my question then. Jesus, he is. Uh, uh, Chris Jericho's a great, great wrestler. Great persona he's great on the mic uh he plays a heel incredibly well he's a face here but i think he's a great heel um and has has revamped his his look and his gimmick several times and every time it's awesome um we uh a weird thing is we see a pre-match promo in the middle of regal's entrance i thought that was weird like why not do it before why do it like while he's walking out yeah that was really strange uh, basically, William Regal keeps punishing Chris Jericho, uh, and uh, Jericho pees in, in William Regal's teeth. Yeah, he did a big old piss in his teeth, didn't he? A very infamous moment, uh, you know. Uh, the WWE loves their pee-pee humor. Uh, who doesn't? Because William William Regal himself had like a, a funny moment where he peed on Test one time because he he walked into the bathroom and scared him, and then he turned around and peed on him. Didn't that happen to you once? Uh, other way around, I was the one at the urinal and some guy walked up to me and just started peeing. Gross. That was weird. Well, now this you one know really how should have been for feels. The, this one should have been for the European Championship. Oh my god. Don't know why, it's on my brain and I gotta say it out loud. There was one time in, like, No Mercy, like, 2006 or 2007, where William Regal's penis was on air. What? And he had to apologize. Because he was getting out of the shower in the backstage thing, and his towel, like, kind of, like, dropped a little bit. And so, William Regal's dick was on air. Let me ask you something about William Regal's dick. What, uh, what, uh... Is it also Regal? I, okay, you know, I don't want, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He had just gotten out of the shower, so I mean, like, it wasn't that impressive, but, you know, like, who, who, who had, who's, who's impressive when they're, when they're getting right out of the shower? You know, though, I gotta say, it is rare. Nip slips are pretty, you know, uh, not common, but they do, they've been known to happen. A penis slip, on the other hand, that is much more rare. 
Yeah, I'd say there are like half a dozen times where we've had nip slips on the WWF, but penis slips? I think this is the only one. William Regal, the only wrestler to ever go dick out on on live television. Nip, nip slips and 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 peen pops, <laughs> peen peen peeps, peen peeps, peen peeps. That's it. Yeah, you nailed it, man. Uh, let's peeps. actually let's actually get into this match now. Um, I think they have a, have some good back and forth. Uh, you know, these guys are pretty good wrestlers, especially to be guys opening the show, legendary guys to open a WrestleMania. Um, Regal's kind of uh, focusing on Jericho's shoulder, slamming him into the turnbuckle post a couple times. Jericho attempts a lion salt, which is like his uh, middle rope springboard moonsault. Uh, Regal gets his knees up, and Jericho rolls him up and only gets two. So Regal goes over, removes the turnbuckle pad, and slams Jericho's shoulder into that steel. Um, Regal or Jericho gets some enziguris, uh, and then gets a missile drop kick from the second rope, covers for two. A big underhook suplex from the top rope uh, with a with a near fall. Uh, Jericho's going for his submission finisher, the walls of Jericho, but Regal reverses it into the Regal stretch. So we got two submission wrestlers going at it here. Um, Jericho does manage to get to the bottom rope, break the hold, uh, and is able to kind of, you know, pull a Mick Foley. Regal's the one who pulled out the, uh, the exposed turnbuckle, but Jericho is the one who slams him face first into the steel, follows up with a big bulldog, and then a lion salt and pins for the three count. Yeah. Um, this, this match went like exactly how I thought it would. Yeah. How's that? I mean, as soon as as soon as the wrestlers came out, I was like, Jericho's going to win this. There's no way Regal's going to win. And then, it and why'd was you just... think that? I'm just curious. Huh? Why? What made you think that? I'm just curious. Um, I mean, just the way they're selling the story and everything. I, I yeah. thought that it was pretty clear that. Well, the uh, fact that he's the commissioner, you know, like you you, you want to, especially you want to open WrestleMania on a high note too. Right, and you. I'm actually trying to think about that. How often does the heel win the opening match? You know, and and really, I'd almost venture to... to say the heat. I was gonna say I'd almost venture to say the heel wins the closing match more often than the heel would win the opener. Right, I think you're exactly right about that, and I think that when you get sort of a unfair power balance in your in your matchup at a uh, pay per view, it is more likely that the predictable winner will win there, and then like on yeah. a weekly show, that's when your heel gets to win. That's when you get to set up the story, you know, more so. Sounds than... like you're learning a lot. I think plus I am. you know Jericho. Jericho's the guy they're pushing. Regal, while he's, you know, a somewhat big name, Regal is typically the guy who puts people over rather than, you know, putting himself over, which, uh, you know, kudos to him. You know, that's, uh, you know, a lot of people might think, you know, putting someone over, they don't want to do it. But, you know, a lot of guys, especially like Regal, are, you know, proud to put a guy over like like Jericho. So, um. Uh, you know, I'm rating these, these uh, you know, a lot of these matches might do a little bit better on another show, but when we have, you know, really good matches on the show like we do, I'm giving some of these like a lower rating than I might on another show. So I gave this one a uh, two and three quarter stars out of five. Yeah, I, I thought it was, um, I mean, it's a, we've seen worse openers. It's a fine way to open a show. It didn't really get Solid opener. Pumped, I, it but... may, maybe ended a little too soon. But, uh, yeah, I could see that for sure. You know, 
We go backstage to the APA and Jacqueline, the APA being Bradshaw and Farouk. You know, we've seen a lot of them, especially a lot of different incarnations. You know, we've seen them as being, um, you know, Undertaker's, you know, flunkies. And here they're kind of in their own. I don't know if we've really seen them as, we've seen them as the Acolytes. I don't know that we've seen Bradshaw and Farouk too much as the APA, which stands for Acolyte Protection Agency. Gimmick basically being, you know, they're like, guns for hire they'll you know beat up people if you if you ask them to kind of kind of guys yeah i i don't know the apa i it's hard for me to get really hyped for they're okay you know they're they're a they're a fun tag team but they're at a time when we have a lot of great tag teams in wrestling so yeah they kind of get buried under a lot of other people's gimmicks i think yeah and then, and then I don't know. Farouk and Bradshaw to me have always been better on their own. Um, which it's hard to say about Bradshaw considering he was, you know, a tag team for so long. Uh, but they're playing poker, drinking, and smoking cigars. Bradshaw gets everyone fired up by saying things about Houston, which I, I, I. That is another big kind of through line. There are two through lines throughout this whole show. Limp Biscuit. And we're in Houston. Yeah, Limp Biscuit and Texas kind of come together to make a very weird atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, look, I get it. People are proud from being from Texas. People are especially proud of being from Houston. You and know, they don't know why. Limp but... <laughs> Biscuit and Texas share another uh, connection. What is that? So there was this town in Texas. That held an online poll to name their new... Is it, is it that that assholes like them? <laughs> no, it's a small town in Texas held an online poll to name their new garbage dump. And the winner of the uh, the poll was the Fred Durst Society for the Humanities and Arts. God damn it. Unfortunately, despite an endorsement from Fred Durst himself, they did not name it that. I can't believe... Like, WrestleMania 17 is coming full circle right here. It is. It is. (laughs) Um, So our next match is Right to Censor, the team of Val Venus, the Good Father, and Bull Buchanan. Buchanan. Fuck, I always say his name wrong. Bull Buchanan. I'm just going to call him Bull. With Steven Richards. Versus Taz and the APA with Jacqueline. Now, we've talked a little bit about Right to Censor on our Royal Rumble 2001 pay-per-view. Basically, their gimmick is it's a bunch of guys who like had these like sexy gimmicks. Like Val Venus used to be a porn star, Godfather used to be a prostitute, Bull Buchanan was nobody, um, and Stephen Richards was in ECW and super hardcore. So it's all these guys who have reformed and have become like goody two shoes, and you know like want to do away with all the like sexy violent content. Which is, like, kind of a cool gimmick, you know. It's the WWF's way to stick it to people who want to censor them. It's based on a real-life, like, group of parents who were, like, protesting and boycotting them. Just, god damn it, like, I know their entrance music is supposed to be annoying, but, like, there's a difference between, like, purposely annoying someone in a way that's like makes you hate somebody and a, and purposely annoying someone in a way that makes you hate them. You know what this is? This is the whistle all over again. 
It's Bill Alfonso's whistle. I think we actually mentioned that on the Royal Rumble show. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. But the thing is, those two are just like very. They're so similar. You can't, you can't have one without mentioning the other. I don't think. And I think, yeah, though, I really think so. That the most egregious thing about right to censor is that they unhornied Godfather when they made him good father. And you know what, though, I think that instead of doing right to censor, they could have done another group with all these same people and just called it sexual healing. Peyton, Peyton, did you hear my good, my funny joke? Peyton, I said sexual healing, like H E E, like a heal, like in wrestling. You know, I didn't even get that part of it actually. So now it's a little bit funnier. <laughs> I think Scott right, cut out where it sounded like you were sandbagging me really hard, unless you were just. Oh no, no, no! Me. I was sandbagging you. Oh, okay. I was good. sandbagging you. It did not cut out. <laughs> um, Steven Richard tries to cut a promo, but Taz's music cuts him off. Taz and, and WWF was always a sad story because Taz and ECW was a fucking monster, but WWF was like, he's small. And they like never really pushed him very well. Oh, then the um, classic Vince McMahon big man syndrome. And, and Taz is close to the end of his career. They even mentioned that he's already doing commentary for SmackDown. Um, so Taz ends up retiring in, in the next year. Does Um, Taz still do commentary? Uh, I don't know. He did commentary for the WWE for a long time, and then he, uh, he quit, got fired, left, whatever, uh, and went to TNA for a while, and I, and he doesn't work for TNA anymore, so I'm not really sure what he does now, but, um... Taz is a guy who's like, he's an alright commentator, but he's definitely a better wrestler. For sure. Believe it or not, I actually think, you know, you would think that people who were wrestlers and become commentators would be better. I disagree. I think the guys who were not wrestlers, but, you know, have followed the business and have been in a, in a you know, non- wrestling role are the better commentators yeah i mean it's kind of the same i think with any sport really having a previous player be a commentator they're not trained to talk good they're trained to sport good Mm -hmm. like okay king is probably the best example of it where he's a pretty good commentator despite being a former wrestler but even then when you have king and jr it's jr is is the better one 100 percent of the time yeah, no, King's um, always being horny or or something, you know. Like when it comes to to the one that's actually calling it, uh, Jr. does a much better job than King. I want to point out something that Paul Heyman says uh, because you know I am from the Alamo city. Um, Paul Heyman says if there was a backdoor at the Alamo, Texas would be in Mexico. Yeah, uh, which is is like. I don't really have much to say about it other than, like, I mean, yeah, he's right, but also. So we start off the match. Uh, we Right to censor goes right to the outside and starts attacking everyone. Um, we get uh, we get the other guys, uh, the, the you know, managers, valets involved. Jacqueline gives a DDT to Godfather. Eventually the match starts with Buchanan and Farouk. Um Godfather goes for a splash. Taz moves out of the way. Tags in Bradshaw. 
Bradshaw's clear in house. It's a fallaway slam on Val Venus. Back suplex, superplex from the top rope. Uh, Godfather and Buchanan hit a double-team powerbomb on Bradshaw. Farouk and Buchanan go to the outside. That's when Godfather charges Bradshaw in the corner, misses, and Bradshaw follows up with a clothesline from hell and pins for the win. Pretty short match, uh, and it uh, wasn't bad, but it, you know, to me, kind of felt like a mid-card match you might see on Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, I wasn't too too jazzed about this one. I, I, I don't really have much to say about it. It was a match, but... It, and that's what I'm kind of talking about with matches that didn't really feel... There were parts of the show that didn't really feel like WrestleMania. Like, this didn't feel like a WrestleMania match. No, it's it probably absolutely the biggest didn't. example of that. Uh, I mean, so I gave it two out of five. Because when you're talking about the fanfare surrounding WrestleMania, like this is like watching a high school football game in the middle of the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And, and it kind of felt tossed together. I mean, right to censor is a team and APA is a team, but then Taz just kind of felt stuck in the middle. I, I don't really know the whole storyline behind it, but, you know, just didn't feel like there was... It felt like this was a filler, really. Um, so next we go backstage to, and this is probably the uh, the strangest storyline of the uh, of the event is this whole McMahon story, which is always the case. Any storyline that has the McMahons involved, yeah, they always have the wildest ones, man. So Linda McMahon, um, who is our current small business. Administrator, secretary for the Trump administration. Yeah, I actually have I have that in my notes to like remind you that Linda McMahon's a part of the U.S. fucking government now. Mm-hmm. Um. So Linda's being pushed around in a wheelchair by Trish Stratus. She's totally catatonic because she's been drugged by Vince. We'll get into all of that really soon, I promise. But I got I gotta mention Stephanie's jumpsuit that says "Daddy's Girl" on the back. Yeah, and and tell me tell me like in one word what what how you feel about that? Gross. Good word. Um, actually, later so th- when uh, when we actually are going to get into the storyline, my notes literally just say "gross, gross, 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 gross." It's very gross, but also fun. But also weirdly fun. Not not the outfit. The outfit's just gross. The storyline is gross but fun. That's how a lot of, you know, Attitude Era WWF storylines go. Um, <laughs> this is a pretty fun match. We got the Hardcore Championship uh, being defended here in a triple threat match. Raven, the champion, who we've seen uh, on ECW, versus Kane and Big Show. Um... Raven comes out wheeling a shopping cart full of all kinds of weapons. What what were you going to say? I love Raven's music because it sounds like someone just got like a crow soundboard and like put a put a riff together and just like put crow noises over Ah, it. It's ah, ah, it's ah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's, It's Raven, another guy who comes over from both ECW and WCW, doesn't really get used right, unfortunately. I mean, he's so badass, especially here. I wish I had a sick-ass crow soundboard I could make music out of. But you know who comes in next? So Raven... Who who comes in next? It's the big show. 
Well, actually, Kane comes in next. It's the Big Show. Kane 100% comes in next because I put this in my notes that Raven and Kane start fighting before Big Show's music even hits. Yeah, I just actually wrote down in all caps, It's the Big Show. And uh, I did that when he was announced, not when he came out. That's my bad. I I think that's your favorite music. I prematurely Big Showed. God, it's okay. It happens to everyone. Uh, Kane tosses Raven over the top rope, but Big Show catches him. But then Kane hits a diving clothesline onto both of them. Um, we really don't spend really any time in the ring because we go right out to the crowd, start brawling. Uh, we go all the way backstage. They're hitting each other with anything they can find. Uh, I put this note in that Big Show goes behind a gate and locks it so that he can try to pin Raven without Kane getting involved, and Kane rips the door open, which is honestly like Kane's whole thing. Like, that's how he debuted, was ripping a cage door open. Yeah, no, this match quickly turns into a hell in a closet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we, uh, what, uh, okay, tell me, what was your favorite weapon used? Oh, boy. I don't even know, man. I don't even know. Um, probably, probably I'm going to give this one to Pane of Glass that oh, Raven yeah. gets thrown through. Yeah, he he throws him straight through a fucking window. Yeah, um, that shit was dope. Which And he's all cut up, and it's like, I know it's probably like special stunt glass, but like fucking still, man. Yeah, I don't um, care if that shit is made out of... What is stunt glass made out of? Isn't it like sugar or something? Sugar. Yeah. yeah. Still, you know, you roll around in a pile of sharp sugar. It's going to hurt you, I think. Yeah. Well, he's bleeding all over his back. and uh, Big Show and Kane try to chokeslam each other, and they fall through a wall. Um, yeah, that was also really sick. And then we have some fun with some golf carts. Raven gets in a golf cart, and Big <laughs> Show gets on the back, and... This is actually interesting. This is a little behind the scenes. Um, they end up crashing, and they run over this cable. And so apparently the story with that is if they had been like one inch over and had like pulled that cable out, the whole power to the whole arena would have been cut off. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. That is so crazy. Why yeah. would you have and all then, of why would your whole arena's power be dependent on one cable? I I don't know. And maybe I'm saying that wrong, but I know it was a very important cable they ran over. No, I don't doubt it at all because it's probably it's probably linked to something that's linked to other things that like if that thing went out it would have caused it, you know, a chain reaction of sorts, but like damn, I almost wish that would have happened. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Imagine. What if? Um, and then Kane gets in another golf cart with the referee in the back, and he straight up runs over Raven. Did you see that? <laughs> Raven like, there's really no gets way, the worst of this shit, doesn't he? There's no way to fake that. Like, he got run over by a golf cart. Yeah, no, he did. He did. He got hit by a golf cart. Uh, I do love, though, like the classic trope whenever you're outside the ring of, like, we're all stumbling in the same direction. Yeah. Because there's, like, a um, lot of meandering down hallways that's, like, 
done like they're just they don't really know where they're going. They're all just like sort of I mean, you know, walking around this like match zombies. is never going to win any awards. It's never going to get a five-star rating, but I bet it was fun to do and fun to plan. Imagine them planning this out like, yeah, we're going to ride around on golf carts. Yeah, no. I and it and it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I'm not trying to put it like, down too much cuz it's it's very fun to watch, especially the hey, golf Raven, cart spot. What are you willing to put your body through? Literally anything. Throw me through a fucking window. Yeah, Raven really has the spirit, man. Uh, they end up back on the main stage, and Big Show lifts Raven over his head, but Kane gives him a big boot, and they both fall over the side of the stage. And so Kane just dives off with a leg drop and pins Big Show for the win. Yeah, and they like really smash fun. through the stage, too. It's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, not like a crazy impressive match at all but hey not everyone has to be right yeah no and this is exactly the kind of shit that i want to see at a pay-per-view right i want to see things get crazy and i will say this is a very hardcore wrestlemania we have lots of you know hardcore style matches here more than you know most because we have this hardcore match uh we have the street fight we have a tlc we have a no DQ. The Triple H and Undertaker match might as well have been a hardcore match. So, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that, yeah. man. And this, uh, like, ring just gets like big old blood spots on it by the end. It's kind of gross. Oh, for sure. Uh, I gave this match a two and a half stars. Um, we go backstage to Kurt Angle, Edge, and Christian, and Angle is watching a video of Chris Benoit making him tap out. Christian and Edge are coming over trying to be fun and like, hey, man, let's go party after we all win our matches. And Angle's like, shut up. I'm trying to focus. Yeah, uh, and he does that whole, if it's not counted by, or if it's not seen by an official referee, if it's not called, then it didn't happen. Yeah, so basically Benoit made Angle tap out outside of a match. Yeah, no, um, uh, I, I really like Kurt Angle's almost... Um, have you watched the new... I mean, I'm sure you've seen at least season one of Netflix's Daredevil. He has a real yes. uh, he has a real kingpin vibe here. Kurt Angle? Yeah, Kurt Angle does. Or rather, I mean, I guess I should say that kingpin has a real Kurt Angle vibe. That's, that's fair. Just They're both the intensity. Bald. Now, I guess Angle's not bald here, but... Um, uh, we get a shot of WWF New York from earlier in the day with, uh, Jimmy Snuka hanging out with fans. WWF Hall of Famer and accused murderer, Jimmy Snuka. What? Yeah, Jimmy Snuka probably murdered a woman, but, um, he was, like, by the time that they finally got him to stand trial, he was, like, so old and mentally incompetent that they, like, dismissed the charges, and then he died, like, a few days later, so... What? I guess we'll never know. Yeah, hold on. Let me let me look this up real quick. I am just this is blowing yeah, me away. Jimmy Snuka is a very famous wrestler. Uh, you know he hit he got hit on the head with a coconut by Roddy Piper. He jumped off a steel cage. He's the first ever ECW champion. But also, um, let's see in uh, in 1983, um, they. They found his uh, his girlfriend dead in his hotel room. Um, 
she died of traumatic brain injuries with a moving object striking a stationary object. She had a bunch of cuts and bruises, uh, signs of domestic abuse. Um, He was the only suspect, although charges were not pressed at the time, and the case was left open um, for years, and they finally turned it over to a grand jury in 2014. He was charged with third-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter. Um, It was the oldest case to result in charges in that county's history. Um, But uh, he pleaded not guilty, and they had a hearing over his competency. Um, And he was ruled not mentally competent to stand trial. um, And that a new hearing would be held to reevaluate his competency in six months. Um, But he then died. So... Dude, what he the apparently fuck? had he had dementia from wrestling related injuries, uh, which is why he was declared unfit to stay in trial. That is insane, man. I can't believe that they had him. There are two murderers on this show. That we know of. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. That is wow. I can't believe that they didn't I- cut ties with him after that. Yeah, well, the 80s were a different time period, and it's like, you know, anything went. I I think after that happened, they removed his profile from the Hall of Fame page, so. We go back to the crowd. Jonathan Coachman's interviewing a fan. I didn't watch this part. Did anything important happen? Um, no, that fan's just from Australia, and her and her Aussie buds get really hype. Yeah, I believe they say something like, this is the first WrestleMania that has fans from every state. Something along those lines, huh? From all fifty I didn't states. Catch that, but that's cool. Um, the Rock ha- arrives backstage. He's getting ready to face Stone Cold. Our next match is for the European Championship. We got Eddie Guerrero coming out with Perry Saturn versus Test. Uh, we get a flashback to last Monday where Eddie is a special referee for Test match against X Pac. Albert comes in and gives Test a choke bomb to give a- X Pac the win. Um. There's a very funny moment. They're trying to find any kind of Texas connection they can. Um, Jim Ross says Eddie grew up in El Paso and spent plenty of time south of the border. Two things. El Paso is like uh, fucking 12 hours away from Houston. <laughs> um, one. Two. El Paso's border with Mexico is west of El Paso. Not south of it. So he didn't really spend time south of the border. He spent time west of the border. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. All borders oh, are the same, God. apparently, according to a, a lot of people. Um, Tess starts off with a huge power bomb. We start brawling on the outside. Um, you know, I've had my thoughts on Tess. Tess kind of bores me, to be honest. Uh, but Eddie Guerrero does the opposite of bore me. Absolutely. Agreed 100%. You know, I I thought it was weird that the European title got, you know, this far up in the show, considering to me it's like a, you know, a third-rate title. Um, Perry Saturn, so basically Eddie Guerrero came over from WCW with the Radicals, which was Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and Chris Benoit and himself, of course. Perry Saturn is really, you know, putting his work in here. 
He distracts Tess, uh, or he attacks Tess while Eddie distracts the ref. Um, Tess, uh, you know, keeps trying for uh, for a three count but can't get it. Eddie eventually hits a low blow out of a full Nelson that the referee just misses. Um, Eddie's distracting the ref while Perry Saturn comes in and hits a spin-out suplex. Eddie eventually goes to the top rope for a frog splash, but Tess rolls out of the way. Tess attempts the big boot, but Eddie ducks. Eddie turns right around into a pump handle slam, and just as Tess is about to put him away, Perry Saturn distracts Tess. Tess knocks him off the apron. Saturn gets back into the ring and gets a big boot, uh, but so does Eddie. Tess covers, but Dean Malenko runs down to the ring and pulls Tess right off of him, and the referee just fucking misses it once again. While the ref is dealing with Dean Malenko, Eddie grabs the European title, hits Tess with it, Eddie covers, and gets a three count. Uh, this is the point in the show where we're starting to get a little bit of better storytelling, uh, although obviously I feel like Eddie kind of carried this match. Yeah, he absolutely did. I agree with that. Um, but this is the beginning of the pivot in the show where we go from like everything so far has been kind of mediocre and then we start getting into the good shit, you know, I'd say in the next match. I do love it because Eddie's the one guy who can cheat to win and like be a face and do it. And I love it. Yeah. It's no, like his whole gimmick right is about that, that. that he cheats and people and people love it. Um. We go backstage to Michael Cole and Mick Foley, who's going to be the special guest referee in the Vince and Shane mask. Uh, Michael Cole asks Mick Foley if he could be a fair referee, giving his history with Mr. McMahon. Foley says he's going to call it right down the middle, which is what every special referee says. That's what I actually wrote down here. Like, what, Wouldn't it be wild if a special referee was like, nah, I'm going to cheat? Wait, yeah. Why you guys, why'd you guys get me here if you didn't think I was going to cheat? Of course I'm going to cheat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would love it if there was a special referee who just had no impact on the match at all. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, a special referee that um, actually does just call it right down the middle. We go backstage. Uh, Steve Austin's here getting ready to face The Rock. Our next match is Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. Two really great wrestlers. A great main event. Uh, like, just a legendary main event uh, with, with these two. Um... They actually were in a match against each other at the previous year's WrestleMania in a triple threat also involving Chris Jericho. So this is kind of a rematch of sorts. Kurt Angle gets on the mic and says he's an American hero and representative of all 50 states. And he, but he says he doesn't like Texas, so he's doing what every other heel tonight is doing. Yeah, no, and Angle's doing some really good mic work here. I had, I think in one of our previous episodes, I had talked about how I didn't like Angle on mic, and I was wrong. I would like to go back on that and um, and say I was a fool and an idiot. Kurt Angle, you could make a very good argument for Kurt Angle being the best wrestler of all time. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily say that, but to me, he's the best you know pound for pound wrestler just in the ring who can also do really well on the mic, and that rarely happens. Chris Benoit, on the other hand, great pound-for-pound wrestler as far as wrestling acumen is incredible. Chris Benoit is not the guy who's delivering fantastic promos. No, Chris Benoit is very, like, every time he gets on the mic, he's like, he seems, like, dodgy. Like, he seems, I don't know, it's weird. Like, he he doesn't want to be talking. He seems, um... And that, that was something that, you know, they were kind of, 
you know, worried about when they were going to give Chris Benoit the, the world title was it like, oh, we don't know if he can really, you know, go on the mic. Right, right. Um, sometimes wrestling ability can make up for it. And sometimes mic work can make up for bad wrestling ability. But Kurt Angle's a guy who can really do both. Yeah, no, he can. And I think that, yeah, he's definitely that good that good middle ground. And so I do have a question here. They keep referring to Angle's wrestling past as amateur wrestling. Have you noticed that? Yeah. However, Angle was an Olympic gold medalist, an actual pro wrestler. So So here's the thing. Amateur wrestling, it's weird because the kind of wrestling, like the Olympic-style wrestling, that's called amateur wrestling. Whereas professional wrestling, that's what we see as like the WWF. That's called really? professional wrestling. Yeah, it's very weird. But yes, amateur wrestling is the kind where you see like in high school gyms, like guys like wearing fucking headgear and like, you know, trying to, you know, pin somebody onto a mat. Whereas professional wrestling is, you know, hitting somebody with a chair. That is crazy to me. I really thought that the WWE was just calling it amateur wrestling to make themselves look better. I didn't realize that that is what it is actually called. That fucks me that up. That is actually that's actually what it's called. Believe it or not, um, I do want to mention that Kurt Angle men- says lose the cowboy hats, and Paul Heyman points out that Jerry R is wearing a cowboy hat. There's an interesting story about that, in that the WWF comment or the WWF wanted Jr. to wear a cowboy hat because they're like, you're a Southerner, so you should wear a cowboy hat. And he was like, that's fucking stupid. Why would I wear a cowboy hat just because I'm from the South? And he didn't <laughs> like to do that. And eventually it became part of his character. Now he always wears a cowboy hat, even when he's like fucking like on his own. So I just thought it was really funny, you know? Yeah, the WWE will make you a caricature if you are not already a caricature. I don't, you know, I'm from the South, and I don't, you know, want to be the kind of person who's like, oh, the South gets discriminated against. But that does happen in wrestling a lot. I have not once worn a cowboy's hat. Because people in wrestling will, like, they, especially the WWF, because wrestling is more of a Southern kind of sport. They really hated people with southern accents and stuff. That's why JR got fired from WCW because they didn't want him they were like we want to, you know, people not to think of us as like wrestling and you know all this kind of southern thing. So we're going to get rid of JR cuz he has a southern accent. Wow. So, and what a mistake that was. It, exactly. Um Let's get fucked let, Eric Bischoff. Exactly. Um, the announcers talk about how Benoit beat Angle last year at WrestleMania, although he never pinned Kurt Angle. He 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 beat Chris Jericho in the triple threat. Uh, Heyman mentions that both guys have tapped to each other's submission holds, but never in an actual match. He also says this very weird thing. He says, this is as excited as a man can get with his clothes on. <laughs> because, you know, men, we just love fucking. Just get so, so horny. We immediately start with some pretty back-and-forth, intense, like, amateur-style wrestling because they're both submission guys. The crowd pops huge when they lock eyes. Also, I'm I'm really bringing on a lot that the commentary team says, but they're saying a lot of stuff that I just have to comment on. Heyman mentions, he says, Benoit is an undefeated WCW world champion, which is true, 
But you do have to remember that Benoit won the WCW championship and then quit the company the next day. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, he is undefeated. But he made sure of that. Um, The crowd's super hot for this match. Uh, They're both going for their submission moves. Benoit's trying to put Angle in the crossface. Angle's trying to put him in the ankle lock. Um... Eventually, uh, Benoit starts arguing with the ref after Angle gets to the ropes, and Angle gets a cheap shot, throws Benoit right out to the outside, tosses him into the steel steps. Back in the ring, he's hitting a bunch of suplexes on Benoit, and they start trading chops and and right hands in the corner. What do you think about this match, like the intensity of it? Uh, Yeah, no, I actually, you know, normally, and I've talked about this before, I like it when styles are mismatched. Um, so like Kurt Angle versus a high flyer, for example, makes a good match to me. I don't typically like brawler versus brawler or Matt guy versus Matt guy, but here it works really well. I think this is actually a really fun match. And I think that the, the added story of like, they're both trying to get the other one to submit is cool. And so if I understand submissions correctly, if you submit in a wrestling match and you lose via submission, that kind of makes you look like a bitch, huh? Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, they protect a lot of guys for not submitting. I will say this about Kurt Angle. I think he has made everyone tap out before. I I, I don't think anyone has made more people tap out than Kurt Angle. Has, He's made okay, Hulk question. Hogan. And I know What's the that? answer to this because I'm pretty sure it was in one of the episodes we watched. Kurt Angle has made John Cena tap out, yes? Yes. Actually, so has Chris Benoit. But they <laughs> won't talk about that one, of course. However, has John Cena ever made Kurt Angle tap out? I don't know. Maybe, because John Cena do, did start doing a submission move. My they point is this. SDF. If Kevin Federline made John Cena tap out, but Kurt Angle has never made Kevin well, Federline, Kevin Federline tap Federline out, didn't make K-Fed is a better submission wrestler. Well, no. Kevin Federline made John, or pinned John Cena. Oh, he pinned, he pinned John Cena? Out. Oh, yeah. He just pinned he him pinned clean. Him. I apologize. I thought he made him tap. My bad. But uh, listen to this list of people that Kurt Angle has made tap out. John okay. Cena. Shawn Michaels, Kane, Hulk Hogan. Only person who's ever made Hulk Hogan tap out. By yeah, the way. holy shit. Uh, Benoit. Uh, he's even technically made The Undertaker tap out. The Undertaker has never had a true tap out moment. There was one match where Undertaker and Kurt Angle wrestled each other, and Kurt Angle put Undertaker in a triangle choke. And Undertaker rolled him up, and the referee counted a three count at the same time that Undertaker tapped out. So it technically was a draw. So technically, Taker didn't lose to Kurt Angle by submission, but but he tapped. Angle made Taker tapped out. Only person to do that. So Kurt Angle has really beaten everybody, and by submission. And I think that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, no, that's... uh. Very and it works really well with his character to the point that he doesn't really become a Cena. He doesn't become the unbeatable face, you know. He and he's yeah usually a heel. Angle will put people over a lot too. I, it, you know, I'm starting to get sold on Kurt Angle being the best wrestler ever. <laughs> I really like Angle. I do. Um. So again, we get some you know guys trying to put each other in submission holds. Um. Uh, and Benoit even uh, puts Kurt Angle at one point in his own ankle lock. Um, 
And Kurt Angle counters that with putting Benoit in a crossface. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. I always like it when guys steal each other's moves. Doesn't happen too often, but is always fun. Yeah, no, it's um, always a very cool, cool thing to happen in a match. I agree. Angle manages to hit the angle slam and pins him, but Benoit just barely kicks out. Uh, I always love it when Angle busts out a moonsault, uh, and he does one here, but Benoit gets his knees up, and Benoit hits the diving headbutt, which Angle kicks out of. They're kicking out of everything here. Benoit grabs Angle, but Angle hits a low blow just out of the ref's field of view, Uh, and then Benoit rolls him up, or Angle rolls up Benoit and pulls his tights to get the three count. I thought it was really great storytelling, really great style of match here, very intense, very back and forth. I thought it was odd to kind of have WrestleMania. WrestleMania is typically your blow-off kind of show, so it felt kind of weird to have it end in a very, you know, kind of screwy finish where clearly the storyline is going to keep advancing. And, you know, I I completely understand wanting to advance a storyline past WrestleMania. I have no fault in that. I just hate it when we have... I'm, I'm not a big fan of a screwy finish at WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I can see why you wouldn't like that. It was good that neither tapped out. I, I think that that was, that was a good point to not have them tap out to continue that, okay, what's going to happen here? Uh, right. But the roll-up finish, you know, I don't know. I just wasn't a big fan of it. But uh, all in all, I think it was a great match, the best match we've seen so far on this show. Yeah, no, I thought it was definitely uh, the best one we've seen so far. And um, like I said, I think to me this is the turning point of the show where the show really starts to pick up some steam. And I really liked it. I really enjoyed this in in a style that I normally don't love that much. Yeah. It just goes to show that when you have someone that's talented, as talented as these guys, you 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 can do anything. Absolutely. I, I honestly feel like Kurt Angle could wrestle a goddamn paper bag, and it would be amazing. I I agree. Benoit, too. Um, but, like, Kurt, Ang- Kurt Angle can really have a good match with anybody and, and has proved that because he's wrestled basically fucking everybody. Um, backstage, William Regal is recovering after his match. Cole asks him how he's feeling. He walks into his office, and there's Kamala, legendary 80s wrestler Kamala just wreaking havoc on his uh on, in his office yeah he's we'll wrecking all of it later shit. in the gimmick battle royal the announcers tease that gimmick battle royal coming up with Kamala and his manager Kim Chi taking part and JR teases Paul Heyman he says why aren't you in the match you have a gimmick <laughs> uh earlier today WWF superstars visiting with armed forces stationed at Fort Hood um, you know, this is before 9-11 and we're still, wait, yeah, this is before 9-11 and we're still like super like, yeah, the troops. Yeah, if this was after 9-11, then Iron Sheik would uh, not have been here. And he definitely wouldn't have won. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, I didn't think about that. Again, backstage, uh, uh, we're with Kevin Kelly. Wait, What's up? I have something to say. They're doing this thing at Fort Hood with the armed forces, and the army does an undertaker-like chant-like thing while they're marching. I don't really know what you call that. But they do that, and they're talking about caskets, and they're talking about zombies, and Undertaker is firmly a biker at this point in his story, and I just wanted to point out that that is wrong, 
that they are wrong and that they need to respect his identity as a biker. Yeah, apparently it's a bunch of guys who haven't, you know, watched wrestling in a while. <laughs> haven't been keeping up. Um, they see Undertaker come out and they're like, dude, you look fucking weird. Yeah, what's the, where's the, all the black at and the, huh. Come back when you're dead. <laughs> we go backstage to Kevin Kelly and Kurt Angle. Kelly says, Angle, you got to respect Chris Benoit. And Angle's like, fuck that. I'm the better man. I and then won. Chris Benoit comes, comes out of nowhere and puts him in the cross face. This seemed like a very weird little thing to put on a WrestleMania. It just seems weird to keep advancing a storyline on WrestleMania. It just it felt like something I'd see on Raw or SmackDown. Obviously, you know, maybe you're not as familiar because you haven't watched a lot of WrestleManias, but WrestleMania is typically devoid of storyline building, and this just felt odd. Yeah, no, um, I, I can totally see that, though, even though I, I haven't seen one before. I can totally see where you're coming from with that. The next match is the Women's Championship between Ivory and China. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of this feud when we on our Royal Rumble show. The pre-match promo shows Ivory breaking China's neck and China collapsing at the Royal Rumble in a very short, kind of weird match. Um, we also see China stripping Ivory and embarrassing her, like, ha-ha, you're in your undies. <sighs> Apparently For there's more been groans like that one, check out our women's wrestling episode. <laughs> Apparently, there's been an agreement that right to censor is banned from ringside as long as Ivory says, you know, she's not going to hold, or as long as China says she's not going to hold Ivory accountable for any kind of wrestling related injury she might get. Now, I have to ask, you know, as a law student, how do you feel about it when the WWF gets legal? Bad, because they're always wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you think about this? Them saying like, "Oh, she's given up her right to sue her if she gets maimed." She would have had to have given up her right to sue Ivory before this match even started. Waivers would have been signed. Um, well, I guess that's what they're implying has happened. And I'm sure, but I'm saying that like it wouldn't be like, "Oh, well." They don't get to be at ringside, no. Like, that would just be... I mean, that's probably standard in everyone's contract with the WWE is that they hold the WWE harmless as well as, you know, whoever the wrestling is, any agents of the yeah, WWE. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, probably right. Um, China comes out and starts shooting some fireworks out of a cannon. Ivory is acting really weird and clutching her belt, but that's just a ruse to wait for the referee to turn his back so she can hit China with it. Ivory's focusing on that back and neck, which, you know, has been broken, in the storyline anyway. But then China fights back with several big clotheslines, hits a power bomb. She even pins her, but breaks the cover because she's like, oh no, I want to continue kicking this ass. Um, China eventually lifts Ivory over her head, drops her with a big gorilla press slam, and covers her for the three count. I was surprised that match went really fast, and it's because, you know, anytime they have to cut time from a show, it's always from the women's match. Yeah, and... Um, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but I feel like maybe it is. Yeah, man, I, the women's match is always, in this era anyways, always goes super short, or 
always unimpressive. Um, no, it's it's annoying to see, and it's annoying when we see it happen time and time again. Especially on a WrestleMania and for China's first women's championship win. Uh, yeah. China doesn't last too much longer in the company. In fact, I think she, she, whenever she leaves, she's still the champion. And I'm not sure if she lost it and picked it back up again, but, uh, but yeah, she leaves the next year. So, uh, you know, uh, or even maybe later that year, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah, she leaves later that year. Um, yeah, wow. she, her next what a, match. It, what a she shame. wrestles Lita. She wrestles Lita at Judgment Day. So this match was in April. Uh, Judgment Day is in May, and that's her last match. So China is has like a month left in the company. Shit. Uh, so I gave this a ma- uh, star and a half. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd you know. agree. It was pretty cut and dry. We go backstage again to Vince, Stephanie, and Linda McMahon and Trish Stratus. Vince says uh, that we need to give Linda another dose of her medication and remember to wheel her down to ringside once Shane is completely immobile. Um, Michael Cole comes in and asks about the shocking development of Shane McMahon buying WCW. Crazy to think that that happened only a week before WrestleMania. I mean, this is a time where all eyes are on the WWE or the WWF at that time. Yeah, no, and it's weird the way that it is put in the storyline here. Um, again, the melding of reality and story, where, like, you know, in real life, we know that Vince acquired WCW, but here it's like, oh, no, he actually signed it over to Shane, and now Shane yeah. McMahon has it. I was surprised to learn that Shane McMahon is 31. Uh, I feel like he— At this point, in 2001, he was 31? Yeah, that's what they say in his match. Um, wow. Yeah. No. I was shocked to learn that. I feel like he's got sort of the um, Menendez brothers slash Trump sons boy man complex. Yeah. Well, it, and it's not too long after this he starts getting the, the salt and pepper you kind of hear. It, um, gosh. I mean, that would make him what? Almost 50 now. Yeah. Jesus. How wow. is Vince still alive? <laughs> The amount of steroids that man has pumped into his body should have killed him years ago. You know, you say you can't believe Shane is 31. Let's let's see. Let's see real quick. How old is Vince McMahon here? Forty five to ninety five. How many years is that? Five fifty. So you've been fifty six, fifty seven. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. He's 73 now. So. And still fucking jacked. When Vince McMahon was born, there were only 48 states. Holy shit. Has Vin- When's the last time Vince McMahon wrestled? I'm just curious. i look that up right now. I think it might have been a, a good while. But probably not that much. There's a really good resource that I, you know, I'm I'm gonna right here go ahead and plug, the Internet Wrestling Database. It's kind of like the Internet Movie Database, um, but for wrestling, it tells you any time like the person's match history, how many matches they've had with somebody, how many stars each match has gotten, their win loss record. Vincent Mann's last match was against CM Punk in October of 2012. 
holy shit, that is, he was in his 60s still, damn. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, hey, and he was winning, he won the ECW World Heavyweight Championship in 2007, so, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, let's get to this match. Um, you know, got to admit, a fun one. And here's the thing, Vincent Shane McMahon, you can't accuse them of not doing anything, you know, of asking their wrestlers to do anything they wouldn't do themselves. And that's one thing I love about Shane is that Shane's not even really a wrestler. He's not really in the company, but when he shows up, he's willing to, like, the fucking glass, man. We, I don't know, I don't know if we'll ever cover that, but, like, goddamn, he really took one for the team. Yeah, I, I, I fully intend to, because that is just a fun... Shane McMahon loves fucking jumping off shit. That's his thing. I like to imagine him as a kid just jumping off the fucking roof for no reason. It's almost like um, he's he's almost like he's putting himself through punishment until he's like one of these days I'm gonna put my body through so much punishment that Dad will accept me. <laughs> it's just never. Happened. Well, and here's the thing, and Vince he doesn't do it here, but Vince loves to fucking bleed, man. Oh yeah, he, he loves does. bleeding. He and the thing is though is like all the time. I feel like Vince and Shane don't typically put on good matches against other wrestlers. But here they put out a really good match against each other. I don't know. I might have to disagree with you there. Shane versus Kurt Angle, pretty damn good match. Vince has actually put on some pretty good matches, especially like with Shawn Michaels. He had a match of the year match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 22. Uh, he has a pretty good match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 19. Okay, maybe now, maybe I just haven't seen. But they're enough from of them. a story perspective and fucking you know shit happening. Let's go to this pre-match promo and kind of explain what the fuck's happening because it's very fucking wild. Vince McMahon asks his wife Linda for a divorce, and then he drugs her while he has an affair with Trish Stratus right in front of her eyes, including making her bark like a dog and strip, which we see very briefly in the pre-match promo. Yep, this um, is where all my grosses came from. Shane has had enough, so he starts beating up his dad and challenges him to a match at WrestleMania. Vince says he'll never forgive Linda for giving birth to Shane. Um, you know, it's funny. Vince has had a match with both of his children, although his match with Shane is much more easy to stomach than his match with Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough, I man. Don't, I don't know if this is sexist, but there's something about a man beating his daughter that's worse than beating his son. Um, let's, let's, let's put the caveat of groan in there, and I think you're right. Um, and then we see Vince buying out WCW, and then Shane shows up on Nitro and says it's actually him that's brought WCW. Pretty interestingly, both, both Vince and Shane come out to the same music, the here, the, uh, the No Chance in Hell. I guess this is before Shane got his Here Comes the Money music. Yeah, I thought it was weird. I, I did note that too that they both come out with the same same music, which they, you couldn't have done any. You couldn't have picked a different Limp Biscuit song. They would have <laughs> let you have it. They're giving them away. Well, I think they they were they teamed together so much they would always come out to the same music. And I guess Shane, I guess it's not hard to believe, but it's not until two thousand three when he has his feuds with like Kane that he comes out to his own music. So interesting. I um, did not know that Shane feuds anyways, with Kane. 
He does. He feuds with Kane at the same time Vince feuds with The Undertaker, believe it or not. They huh. both have Shane at Survivor Series 2003. Shane wrestles Kane and Vince wrestles Undertaker. But it's weird because the heel face dynamic is all fucked up because it's like if Shane Mario... and Undertaker. You know what I'm about to say. I was going to say, Shane. It's like if Mario. What? Just say it. It's like if Mario fought Wario and Luigi fought Waluigi. It is just like that. But it's weird because Shane is the face and Kane is the heel and Undertaker is the face and Vince is the heel. <laughs> that is it's a, a very fun interesting dynamic. dynamic. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to our Undertaker and Kane episode. A little teaser there. Ooh. So uh, Shane gets the mic. says he wants to give a shout out to the stars of WCW who are sitting in the crowd and I don't know fucking any of them. <laughs> it's like... Sean stay it's like people like the only people they could afford. Um and then special referee Mick Foley comes out. Interesting to note, Mick Foley's last match uh at this point uh was at WrestleMania two thousand. Um and very interestingly, uh they had this very weird match where they had a it was a fa- it was a four corner elimination match with a McMahon in every corner. And in Mick Foley's corner was Linda McMahon. So, oh. Kind of interesting here. I l- um, obviously cannot talk enough about how much I love Mick Foley, but this is where he's tra- starting to transition, right? Do more Mr. Sacco stuff. Well, no, he'd been doing Mr. Sacco for a while. He started doing Mr. Sacco when he was mankind. Oh, okay. Um, he did Mr. Sacco, he started doing that like around 98, 99. Um, but this is where he's transitioning into being Mick Foley. That match at WrestleMania 2000 was the first time he wrestled as just Mick Foley and not as Mankind or Dude Love or Cactus Jack. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I feel like there are like a handful of wrestlers who are like always special referees. And they're the following three people. Mick Foley, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels. Those guys are like more often special referees than anyone else. And I think that is because they are more often injured than anyone else. Yes, that's probably true. So uh, the match starts with Vince slapping Shane and punching him and choking him in the corner. Uh, Shane eventually clotheslines him, starts hammering away. Stephanie comes into the ring, slaps Shane right in the face. Um, We get to the outside pretty quick and start brawling. Shane grabs some sort of, like, sign, this keep-out sign, starts battering Vince with it. Shane chokes Vince with a cable, slams him in the steel steps, and pulls out a kendo stick, starts beating Vince with it. Um, Then we start going for the Spanish announce table, pulling it apart and hitting Vince with a monitor. And uh, he puts him on the table, and Shane goes to the top rope and jumps off, but Stephanie pulls Vince off the table, and Shane crashes through it. Once again, proving that uh, Shane loves to jump off shit. He loves to jump off shit. Man, that poor Spanish announce table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, And then we get Trish Stratus wheeling Linda down to the ring. This is when things start getting wild. And Trish starts helping Vince up, but then she slaps him. Retribution. Yeah. I love it when, you know, I even though I know it's fake, I love it when I see Vince get his ass kicked. Yeah, same. 
Especially by someone who he made bark like a dog. And it's you, kind of you, interesting to see Trish here versus where we saw Trish in our, in our women's wrestling show. Is it not? Uh, it is. It is pretty weird. I agree. This is the start of her career. So she went through a lot. I got to applaud Trish Stratus for, like, you know, showing people that she can be a competitor. She's not just eye candy and becoming one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. And fucking good for her, man. Yeah, absolutely. But boy, did she have to put up with some shit to get there. Uh, as does most every woman, women's wrestler. Yeah. Um. So Stephanie and Trish start having a little cat fight, and they they are slapping each other and brawling. They Mick Foley tries to split them up, but Stephanie slaps him, and eventually they they go running off. You know, very much like. Oh, it's women fighting. Hot. Yeah, that part was just... I never really got that, why people think women fighting I is hot. I also never understood that fetish. I just don't get it. Anyway, um, Vince gets up off the floor. He calls Linda a bitch. I, you know, I wonder if when Linda ran for Senate, if they brought any of this shit up. I'm If I was her like competitor i would have just played this match yeah and then... i honestly think they did and they did this really weird thing and this thing that people ha- kind of hated them for where they did this whole like go out and support wwe by voting for linda mcmahon for senate yeah what the fuck here's the thing wwe needs to stay away from legal issues social issues politics and family issues. And family issues. Although, I don't know if I can say that entirely, because if we stay away from family issues, do we get rid of Kane and The Undertaker? Oh, that's an excellent point. So do we dump the custody of a child match and yeah. sad gold dust, but also Kane and Undertaker? Uh, you know what? We got to keep them. You're right. You're right. But see, custody of a child match is, is a good match with a bad gimmick. That's true. But it is also fun to talk about, so I'm not sure I would have it any other way. Yeah. Mick Foley stops Vince from uh, domestic abuse. He yells at him, don't even think about it, and Mick Foley starts rolling Linda away, but Vince hits Mick Foley in the back with a steel chair and then again in the head. The crowd is chanting asshole as Vince just grabs Linda and rolls her into the ring. Gotta give it to Linda for, you know, not really being that involved in wrestling. And fucking taking part in this storyline and pretending to be... I mean, it seems like it might be easy to pretend to be catatonic, but, I mean, like, also, is it? Yeah, I feel like that's actually a pretty hard role to play, to not react to anything going on around you. Uh, Vince starts throwing a bunch of trash cans into the ring. He smashes one over Shane's head. He tells Linda to watch as he starts beating Shane with a trash can until it's totally destroyed. Motherfucker needed um, four trash cans. Yeah. How? Well, that, those things bend pretty quick, though. Then use a sturdier weapon, Vince. Yeah. What? Why? Why are those trash cans so flimsy? Have you ever like had a trash can that was that? I mean, I've never hit somebody in the head with a trash can, though. I've also fair, never so owned I... an Oscar the Grouch style trash. Can. Yeah. Like, where do they even get those from? Why are they under the ring? 
Yeah, and lots of great questions. Why are there four of them? Vince is about to hit Shane again when Linda stands up and kicks Vince in the crotch, and the crowd is going nuts. And I gotta say, this storyline is fucking wild, fucking ridiculous. But even I was going like, kind of like, oh shit, this is wild. Yeah, no, I I actually really love this match because of how crazy it is. Foley gets in the ring, starts beating on Vince. It's a running knee in the corner. Uh, they put a trash can in front of Vince's face, and Shane climbs to the other corner and jumps all the way from one corner to the other with a drop kick to the trash can, a move he now calls the Coast to Coast. I believe this is the first time he ever did it. Yeah, it's a really that sick trash move, too. I really like it. That's a lot of fucking distance to cover, too. It is. He's very impressive. I gotta get... I mean... Sh- Shane McMahon is probably the best non-wrestling wrestler of all time. Yeah, I would agree. Second place is Kevin Federline. And third place is Drew Carey. (laughs) Absolutely. So Vince, or Shane pins Vince for the win, starts celebrating with his mom. The WCW wrestlers are cheering cheering him on. Wild match, crazy story. I give it a three out of five stars. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. Maybe too high, but God damn it, sometimes a storyline can carry a match. And this is the perfect example of that. Absolutely. So we go to last night at WWF Access, uh, where Kevin Kelly is talking to the Hardys about TLC two. We've a- we actually watched TLC one on our SummerSlam or on our ladder match episode. Um Matt Hardy says this is personal because Edge, Christian, and Rhino took out Lita, and Jeff says he's going into this match like it's his last. And based on his performance, I feel like he he was adamant about dying on this night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, but the Hardys really, like, it's weird how much better they are with their current sort of gimmick than what they were doing here. They were not really selling it much here. But, the, I mean, okay, they may not have had much of a gimmick, but, I mean, goddamn, were they impressive. Oh, yeah, as far as just the actual wrestling goes, holy shit, they were on top of their game. Yeah, I agree. Let's get into this match, TLC2. So, a little bit of history. So, they had their first tables, ladders, and chairs match at uh, this year's, or the previous year's SummerSlam. Uh, the year before at WrestleMania 2000, they had a triangle ladder match, which a lot of people consider, like, to be almost the uno- first unofficial TLC match because it was a ladder match between the Hardys, Edge and Christian, and the Dudleys, and there was a lot of tables also used in the match. So it is, for all intents and purposes, a TLC match. The ring crew is setting up all the furniture. Uh, JR says he's concerned about all three teams. And you and I have actually watched this match, and this is actually the first match I ever showed you. Um, talk to me about you know, what you felt seeing it then versus seeing it now. Does it still hold up? Is it still an awesome match to you? I fucking love this match. And, um, yeah, no, I think that this was a great one to show me to get me into the the sport of wrestling. Um, I, I still really I thought. enjoy I thought, it this like, time. At this point, I didn't have the network. I just had stuff on DVD. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to show you any match, let me show you this one. Uh, and I do have uh, a little bit of a spoiler here. I already have the rating for this match, if you'd like to hear it. Go ahead. 
And this is to my best ability, so it might be a little bit off. Um, it, things got a little nuts. Four chairs, four ladders, nine tables. Nine tables, really? Nine four ladders, that sounds tables. right. And, and, and four chairs, that sounds right also. But nine tables? Yeah, because, okay. That's incredible. Well, I, I think everyone, including the people who ran in in the match, all went through a table at some point. Yeah, and not to mention four tables go out in one one sort of burst there. Yeah, that's true. There are a couple times where we get multiple tables going out at once. Um, so the Hardys come out without Leah, of course, because she was gored by Rhino. So basically, every team here has their own like little like second man, which is a good way to get these guys on the show without giving them a match. So the Hardys have Lita. Edge and Christian have Rhino, and then the Dudleys have Spike Dudley. Um, everyone starts brawling. Edge and Christian go to the outside pretty quickly. Uh, Hardys are getting some double-team moves, uh, and that's when Edge and Christian come back in with a ladder and start just ramming everyone into it. Crowd is already chanting, we want tables. Um, and the as, Dudleys uh, oblige. And the Dudleys do oblige, but not quite yet. Um, we still have a little bit more, uh, fun to go here. Um, we get chairs involved pretty soon. Uh, Edge and Christian do a drop toe hold on Jeff, sending him face first into a chair that's, you know, set up in the seated position inside the ring. Um, you know, they don't use chair shots to the head anymore, which is like, you kind of feel like, oh, then what are you going to do with it? But there's a lot of innovative things you can do with a chair as we see here. Absolutely. A chair is like a Swiss Army knife in wrestling. Definitely. Um, so our first attempt at climbing the ladder is Matt Hardy, uh, but Edge uses a chair to kind of like launch himself into Matt. Edge starts climbing the ladder, and Jeff does the same thing, launching himself off the ladder and drop-kicking Edge off of it. The Dudleys bring another ladder in. The Hardys hit a double-team baseball slide to send the ladder back into their faces. We get some ladders set up, and the Hardys hit a, you know, kind of like a stereo, like, double team where Jeff hits a splash and Matt Hardy hits a leg drop on a Christian at the same time. Man, I don't know how that doesn't fucking just kill a man. I don't either. I, I have no answers for you because I also was like, holy shit, that is insane. Um, Bubba and Devon hit the was up headbutt where Devon jumps off the top rope and headbutts onto Edge's crotch. Another thing I don't know how it doesn't hurt. Uh, and JR says this will adversely affect your sex drive. Yeah. Yuck. Which I suppose it would. Um, Bubba says, hey, Devon, get the tables. Crowd pops huge. They each bring a table into the ring. Um, Bubba puts Edge on a table, but Jeff comes in, tries for a Hurricane Rana, and Bubba power bombs Jeff through Edge through the table. Great way to introduce the tables into the match. Hell yeah, and I like that each team here has one particular piece of furniture uh, that they specialize in. Like you know, and that was uh, kind of the the start of the TLC match, and that's the the thing about TLC matches going forward is that you know we don't have that anymore because. Uh, you know, Edge and Christian are both retired. Uh, the Dudleys are 
kind of semi-retired Matt and Jeff are at the end of their career. We don't really get that anymore. But, you know, this TLC match was made specifically for these three teams. And all three of the all three teams are in the first three TLC matches, and at least one participant is in the next TLC match. And I think the first time we it's like years before we get a TLC match that doesn't include at least one member of the original of the original yeah. TLC one. These guys group. are just so like I don't know they they pioneered this whole area. I feel, and when you're yeah. watching their performance here it's unlike other wrestling matches because you're not really watching you know these guys against each other you're watching them all work together to make something really cool exactly and you know it makes me think like man these guys you know and all these guys are really close and i mean you'd have to be to trust each other to to do this but like you know imagine putting these matches together with each other it must it must be you know something else yeah, no, um, and I don't understand how when someone suggests some of the crazy shit that we see, you know, in the planning phase of this, like, he doesn't get laughed out of the room. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, of course, all these guys go on to do great things, minus, unfortunately, Devon. All these guys do end up becoming, you know, world champions in their own right, you know, as single stars, so... You know, it's just, this is just a good group of guys that perfectly exemplify, you know, what tag team wrestling was in this period in the company. Um, so the Dudleys are setting up like a tower of four tables, uh, two tables on top of each, two tables on top of each other, and then another two tables on top of each other. So it's like a little stack right there. Um, Paul Heyman, you know, of course the. Oh, you know, kind of the genius behind the Dudleys. He mentions, he says, Big Daddy Dudley had a construction company, which is apparently why they're good at tables, because construction companies make tables, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, you know, have you never worked in, have you never spent a day at the construction site, you know, just hammering away at a table? <laughs> I got a nail and a gun and I'll hammer it. It's the house <laughs> building theme from Red Dead. Um <laughs> Uh, JR says Big Daddy Dudley should have practiced safe sex, which I thought was funny. Because, you know, we have, like, in ECW, we had, like, a dozen Dudleys who none of them looked the same. The storyline being that Big Daddy Dudley was a traveling salesman and just had, you know, lots of sex with lots of women. Um, yeah, and apparently also owned a construction company where his multiple sons apparently. worked. I want a movie. I want one of the WWE movies about fucking the Dudley's father. And at the same time, even though obviously they're not related, sometimes I forget that the Dudleys aren't actually related. <laughs> Is that weird? Is it weird? All three of these teams are supposed to be brothers, but the Hardys are the only ones that are actual brothers. Oh, man. Of course, Edge and Christian get retconned. They, over the years, they become less and less re related. Uh, you know, they start out as brothers, and then they're stepbrothers, and then they're cousins, and then they're just good friends. <laughs> so, uh, they slowly became less related. All right, That's enough amazing. about that tangent. We're going to spend forever on this episode. 
Yeah, otherwise. Jesus Christ. But, you know, why not? You know, it's WrestleMania. Absolutely. Back in the ring, we got we got three ladders set up. Everyone starts climbing up. Matt and Christian are the first to go down first. And Jesus, did you see this? Christian goes all the way out to the floor. Yeah, man. I mean, and I I know in in the you know going through a table is supposed to look cooler, but honestly, going all the way out to the fucking barely padded concrete floor has to be way worse. No, it oh, it absolutely has to because the the table really breaks your fall. Yeah, there's um, nothing to break his fall. You know, most of the time when they do that, they'll hit the ropes or they'll hit the mat or something. But going all the way to the floor, that's a huge drop. I can't believe he didn't get hurt. Yeah, that's a big fucking bump right there. Yeah. Uh, eventually, all the ladders fall. Everyone's down. And then that's when Spike Dudley runs down to the ring. Um, and he he uh, he gives Edge his, like, it, it's it's a cool move. It's like a running, like, like almost stone cold stunner, but he uses the ladder to like kind of, you know, get his momentum to give Edge an acid drop, um, and then he does the same thing with Christian, but sends him through a table on the outside. Yeah, uh, just so much carnage, so much destruction. You know, usually, I'm not a big fan of run-ins in matches, but I think this one it actually works pretty good because. All these guys running in get the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the run-ins here are fun, and they add because they've been they've been built up in the story so far so that they make a yeah. lot of sense, and they work really well. It almost makes me wish they had done, like, uh, another TLC that had, like, all three of them in each one. Yeah, that would have been, cool. been cool. Uh, now Rhino comes down to the ring next. He starts goring everybody, and he gores, which is a spear. He gores Matt Hardy straight through a table in the corner. Uh, and he starts helping Edge up the ladder, but then Lita comes down. And give the props to Lita for, you know, uh, mixing it up with nine dudes. Yeah, man. Uh, or eight dudes. Um, but Lita runs down to the ring. He pulls Ed, she pulls Edge off the ladder, and I have to mention this comment by Jr. because it's really funny, especially when we know that in 2005 Lita has an affair with Edge. She said, "Jr. says Lita jerking Edge off," <laughs> and then he pauses for a while before he says, "The ladder." <laughs> um. Uh, Rhino grabs Lita, but then Spike gives her a low blow. Lita hits a Hurricane Rana off the top rope on Rhino, and Rhino smashes him in the head with a steel chair, which causes Rhino to kind of stumble into the ladder, which Edge is on, and knocks it over, and Edge gets crotched on the top rope. Dudley's hit a doomsday device on Rhino, and then Lita fucking murders Spike with the chair shot. <laughs> Did yeah, you no, see that? that? Like, his head intense. went through the chair. Like, Jesus. Like, gave him a concussion with that. Uh, she whips off her shirt, and Heyman's like, Take it all off! Which is weird yeah, with our gross, obligatory bad. sex sexiness. Um, Dudley, the Dudleys hit Lita with a 3D, uh, which I believe... You know, we're kind of like saying, you know, she's kind of beat up. She's got that those neck problems, so, you know, hitting her with that move kind of reemphasizes that. Edge and Christian come back in, hit Devon with a chair, 
And then a really cool move that he kind of, Christian tosses a chair at Bubba. He catches it, and so Christian whacks him with another chair. So he's just getting double chair shotted to the face. Um, we're really using all the weapons to a to a great to a great degree because you know a lot of times a TLC match is just like a ladder match that also has chairs and tables, but this one. No, this one they're definitely utilizing everything properly and mixing them, too, in a great way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get two ladders set up on the inside of the ring while Jeff sets up. You know, every ladder match seems to have a bunch of regular size ladders, and then some guy pulls out a ridiculously sized ladder that no one would ever need. Yeah. <laughs> a so ladder like that is a twice the size of other ladders. He's got a 20-foot ladder set up and hits a swanton bomb onto Rhino and Spike through two tables on the outside. Yeah. Which is crazy to me that Jeff isn't done with this match yet. <laughs> it's incredible that none of these guys are, like, out of, out of the count. They've all taken huge bumps. Yeah, man. Um, it's insane. A lot of matches have it where, you know, like, one guy is really pulling their weight. All uh, six guys are pulling their weight in this match. Absolutely, 100%. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so we've got a total of four ladders inside the ring now, including the giant one. Christian and Devon are climbing up the big ladder, but Matt pulls it out from underneath them, so they're both dangling on, like, kind of the cable with the belts on it before they both fall down. Like Lucifer, Jeff... they are cast out of ladder heaven. <sighs> My God. So Jeff is back now, believe it or not, and I don't know what he was... This is the one botch in this match, and I don't know what he was trying to do, why they thought this would work, but he tries to tightrope across... the the tops of the ladders. Hey, hey, man, not everything's a winner. And it's cool that he even thought that would work, but yeah, no, he obviously falls down. So he has to climb back up the ladder, but Bubba moves the ladder out from underneath him. And this is the moment, probably the greatest moment in this WrestleMania. Yes. And one of those moments that gets replayed over and over again, it's probably one of the biggest moments in WrestleMania history. It's in those montages when you see Hogan slamming Andre and Michaels, you know, Shawn Michaels ziplining to the ring. It's when Jeff is dangling on that cable with the belts, and Edge climbs up that 20-foot ladder and spears him out of fucking midair. Yeah. Yeah, it's just awesome. Just amazing. I mean, who would even think of that? Who would think of that? How do you even time that right, man? The Just the sheer dexterity involved is insane. The fact that there's only one noticeable botch in this whole match is impressive. And the fact that nobody, like, the ladders are always in exactly the right place that no one coming down, like, smacks their head against one and dies. How do you do that? That's the thing. A lot of this match takes a lot of planning because you have to have exactly, like you said, the ladders in the right place, the tables in the right place, all that. For example, the Dudleys set up those four tables fucking forever ago, 
And now they're finally coming into play when Bubba and Matt are on the ladder and Rhino pushes it over and they go crashing through the four tables on the outside, which I'm pretty sure is exactly what happened in SummerSlam 2000, but it's still awesome. It is exactly the same, but yes, it is still it is still awesome. Because I'm pretty sure it was the same two guys going through the same four tables. Well, not the same four tables. I think they had to get new ones. Well, oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the crowd is chanting, holy shit, of course. Um, Devon is at the top of the ladder, but Edge grabs him as Rhino helps Christian up the other side of the ladder to grab the belts. And, you know, Ed, they're really building up Edge and Christian because they won the SummerSlam 2000 ladder match. They won the WrestleMania 2000 triangle mat, triangle ladder match, so they're winning here again, um, but in a very impressive way. What do you think of this match? I fucking love it, man. It's I I loved it when you showed it to me the first time. I still love it now. It's an amazing match. It's a crazy match, but it quite possibly is in I would say it's for sure in the top 10, maybe even the top 5 WrestleMania matches of all time. And that's crazy to say about a fucking triple threat TLC match. But, man, is it impressive. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. I gave it a four and a quarter stars. I think it's the best match on this show. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, me, I'm more in favor of the traditional wrestling, but... Yeah, you know, you're you're not really as much me. of a ladder boy as I am, but I'm glad That's that crazy. this one has your favor. So next we get Howard Finkel in the ring. He says that WrestleMania has broken an attendance record with 67,925 people. Now, the WWF is very often lies about their records, but... Much like the president. I don't think they're too far off. I mean, it's a huge crowd, so... Oh, yeah. I do want to point out, though, that they do the WWE access thing again, and they're, like, oh. showing... Uh, they're like interviewing some wrestlers while they're talking to fans, and they just interview Kane. And he's like, "Yeah, it's a really good opportunity for fans to interact in a way that they're not normally able to." And I'm like, "Kane, no, you're not supposed to just be. You're not supposed to sound like I, this well-reasoned dude." I agree, and he still has his mask on, but he's got his hair in a ponytail, and it's very weird. Like it's so I mean, jarring. Now it's not as jarring because he's the fucking mayor of Knox yeah. County, Tennessee, and he's fucking dressing up like cat in the hat to read to children but especially then it would have been like whoa what the fuck if I had it met was so Kane weird how then, they I would be disappointed it was weird how they slowly made Kane more human because they're like he's burned all over his body and they're like well he's wearing a sleeveless top so I mean he's not burned on his arms just on his face <laughs> eventually he takes his mask off and he's like well they were emotional scars and then now and then He's like, well, I mean, you know, he's not really a monster. He's still the, you know, COO of WWF or WWE. And it's like, now he's the mayor. So. Yeah, no, if I had met Kane there and he said anything other than, I would have been like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Being in character. Yeah, and, and, you know, now Undertaker has a fucking Twitter, so, you know. This is like if you went to Disney and Donald Duck we just, like, started talking in the costume. Could you imagine? <laughs> Let's get... To the gimmick battle royal, 
is a crazy weird match on this show, but really fun. I, I would not have taken it away for anything. Um, I the <laughs> yes this intro is so fucking long. Yeah, the entrances are longer than the match for sure. Um, I do want to point out we get uh, a different commentary team. We get Mean Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan, who are unfortunately both no longer with us, but great commentary team, great old school WWF 80s kind of commentary team. Come out for this match. I thought that was a cool addition to it. Yeah, I, do, I, I don't really know them because, you know, we haven't we haven't done any of that um, here on this show. You've heard Bobby Heenan a little bit on WCW, but that's pretty much it. Uh Gotcha. And then Mean Gene Okerlund is uh, pretty famous for his uh, SummerSlam thing where they had pre-recorded an interview and they accidentally aired the outtake version uh, where the sign, the SummerSlam sign, fell fell down from behind him and he, and he went, Gentlemen, as you know, the ultimate warrior. Fuck it. <laughs> they aired that live on SummerSlam. They, like, had to cut and redo it, but they accidentally aired the cut version where he goes, fuck it, after a sign falls down. <laughs> and then they just cut, and they're like, uh, we apologize for that. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the best. That's what I immediately think of when I think of Gene Okerlund. But, uh, yeah, two <laughs> Hall of Famers, really great. So, basically, the thing here is it's a battle royal. And I I like that they call it gimmick battle royal because I feel like gimmick is kind of like an insider wrestling term, but I guess they just don't care. So it's basically everyone who's got weird ass gimmicks because back in the eighties, everyone's gimmick was like based on their occupation. Yeah, man. It, and uh, as we know, you know, uh, Captain Lou Albano, the plumber that he was. Uh, Lou Albano, unfortunately, is not in here. What a shame. Uh, he, let's he talk about who busy. is in here. And if you have my notes up, you're looking at it, and I kind of put like my uh, my quick little synopsis of what their gimmick is. We get Luke and Butch Bushwhacker, who are two guys from New Zealand who I think might be mentally handicapped. Um, yeah, no, seems seems like a WWE gimmick if I've ever heard of one. Duke the Drunk Dumpster Drozy, which is just trash man. So basically, like, uh, Frank Reynolds stole that gimmick, and it's always sunny. <laughs> I uh, just the go Iron out in the ring and start eating trash. The Iron Sheik, who is a terrorist, of course, because he's from Iran. Uh, of course. Um, the, Iron, the Iron Sheik uh, is a pretty big name in here, actually. He's a former uh, WWF champion, and that's actually who Hulk Hogan beat for his first WWF championship. Yeah, um, I was surprised that Iron... he was here, because I was like, man, shouldn't the Iron Sheik have been dead by now? Well, this is 2001, and also the Iron Sheik isn't dead now, so. Damn, okay. The Iron Sheik is crazy. If you listen to his, like, shoot interviews, he's always talking about, like, and didn't I fuck him in the ass? He was the the Scott Steiner of the eighties, kind of, and he's kind of still like his own Scott Steiner now. <laughs> uh, we get Earthquake, who's just a big boy. The Goon, who's a hockey man, and then Doink the Clown, who is a clown. Um, Doink has been played by several different people. 
I believe he's played by the Brooklyn Brawler here. But Doink actually was a pretty cool gimmick at one point where he was like an evil clown, like an it kind of guy. Oh, like but then a he just became like yeah. a Yeah, then he became like a regular clown where he just like squirted flower water at your face. Yeah, it's not nearly as fun. Uh, we get Kamala and Kimchi, who we saw earlier. Kamala's uh, big boy, but the African version, and his small friend, Kimchi. And, uh, you know, we're just going to go ahead and put the racism flag there and just leave it there. This mm-hmm. has been flagged as racist. We get Repo Man, who is a Repo Man. Um, Jim Cornette, uh, an interesting addition here, because Jim Cornette was like always like a manager and promoter and commentator, so I don't know why he's wrestling, but uh, he's just a southern guy who carries around a tennis racket. <laughs> uh, Nikolai Volkov, who did not get the message that there is no Soviet Union anymore. <laughs> uh, Michael P.S. Hayes, who is another kind of behind-the-scenes guy, um, who's... Not a racist, despite his Confederate flag cape. He's just a fan of Leonard Skinnerd. Yeah, because they say that um, he taught Michael Jackson how to do the moonwalk, which is that statement is wait, problematic they said that? in many ways. They did. They, I did not hear that. That is weird and not, not definitely not true. Oh, definitely not true. Um, I actually have a very funny. F- personal story about Michael Hayes and apparently my dad told me about this uh one of his co-workers went to a wrestling show uh in the 80s and met up with the Freebirds who was uh the the group that Michael Hayes was in and was like shit talking them so much that they beat it they kicked his ass <laughs> and uh for his birthday one year they like found a Michael Hayes action figure and then, like, a Ken doll, which was supposed to be my dad's co-worker, and, like, covered it in blood, and they made that his cake. That is amazing. Michael Hayes kicked his ass. So there's a there's an interesting story there. We have one-man gang who I put... He's a reformed blackface wearer because after he was one-man game, he, he then discovered he had African heritage and became Akeem and was just like, I'm from Africa, even though I'm white. Please no. Please no. Please no. Then we get the Goblety Gooker, who is the a saving grace of this match amidst all we, the racism we, and racism and even more racism. We have the shining light, the pure Goblety Gooker. The eighties were a crazy time for the WWF, but uh, we see they show us a uh, a the debut of the Goblety Gooker, who, uh, I don't know if you know this, is played, I don't know if he's played by him here, but the original Goblety Gooker was played by Hector Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero's brother. Huh. So did he just uh, hide in that egg for that whole show? I guess. And also before that, because they kept teasing it, they're like, something's going to hatch out of that egg. It might be a Playboy model. It might be the president. But in fact, it's just a guy in a turkey costume. I want to know, you know how long he, he was showed in up. That egg. He showed up, and he never sh- was, showed up after that show until now. So this is like his return, and also his first and only match. Um, n- not true. Not true. Not true. The gobbledygooker's inside okay. all of us, and so when anyone wrestles, the gobbledygooker is there wrestling as well. Um. Although interestingly, I do want to I do want to point this out that the uh, the 
the Chiron underneath the gobbledygooker calls him the gobbledygooker. So, you know, there's a bit of a uh, of a continuity error there. Yeah, they just got him confused with his uh, his twin, because if you notice as well, that is not the same turkey suit as the one that hatched out of that egg. Because they probably burned it immediately after. <laughs> uh, next up, we get Tugboat, who is just a big boy sailor. Uh, he's also partners with, uh, or had been partners with Earthquake, so they, they wonder if they're going to you know team up together. Next out, we have Brother Love, who was always a manager, never a wrestler, um, and actually the original manager of The Undertaker. Uh, his gimmick really? is that he's a preacher with rosacea. Um, yeah. Not no. really. He's just very red. I do um, not care for Brother, for Brother Love. Love. Brother Love is played by uh, Bruce Pritchard, who is a uh, prominent behind-the-scenes figure in WWE and then later TNA. Uh, and I will say, I, he has a pretty good podcast that I listen to. So, uh, cool. you know, go check that out. Um, then next out, we have Sergeant Slaughter, who's a military boy. We show, we get a montage of Sergeant Slaughter shooting guns and riding in ATVs and stuff. Dude, um, I've been trying to put my finger on, because when we saw Commissioner Slaughter... Uh, when he was commissioner in in the Montreal screw job and he's wearing the suit and everything i was like man he looks so much like someone and i can't put my finger on it i think i finally did uh and Who's i think that? it's cousin secret agent or no 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 it's day trader vader from <laughs> monster factory <laughs> he does kind of look like day trader vader nice um well, we start going at it right away, and really, people are just getting tossed out the ring left and right way too fast for me to even keep up with. Yeah, I, the um, only thing I noticed was that uh, I think Repo went out first, and then the Gooker goes out. So my sort of choice for winner was eliminated second. Yeah, I, I do notice, one thing I notice is that Jim Cornette and Brother Love last way too long for guys who are managers and, like, commentators. Um. In fact, Brother Love lasts till the final four. Um, yeah. Uh, when Kamala tells about Doink, the, the crowd boos. Obviously, they wanted to see Doink win. Uh, Didn't we We all? get to the I end mean, and saw... The Doink-Gooker feud is something that defines this era of the WWE. <laughs> Uh, Slaughter, basically at the end, just everybody tosses each other out, like, one by one. I feel like they were like, hey, we gotta get through this match quick, or something. Yeah, we spent too uh, much time doing out, everyone's fucking intro, so now we gotta get through this. I believe this is the second shortest match on the card after the Ivory China match. Um, Slaughter tosses out Kamala. Immediately, he starts tossing out Brother Love, but Hillbilly Jim tosses them both out, and then... Iron Sheik tosses out Hillbilly Jim to win it, but then Slaughter comes back in and puts Iron Sheik in the Cobra, Cobra Clutch. What a sore loser. Uh, you know, Iron Sheik and Sergeant Slaughter were actually aligned with each other for a while when Sergeant Slaughter went through, became an Iraqi sympathizer during the, the Gulf War was uh, an actual storyline that happened. Boy, man, there are some... We say that the wildest stories came out of the Attitude Era, but did they... There are a lot of wild stories all around. Uh, so I gave this match one star. It was 
fun for what it was, but, you know, not really much of a match, of course. Five stars, just because Gooker was in it. Mm, of course. Every Gooker match has a five star. Absolutely. So our next match is Triple H versus The Undertaker. Uh, the pre-match promo, Triple H says he's beaten everyone there is to beat, and Undertaker's like, nuh-uh. So they have a pretty brutal feud. Taker even ends up getting arrested and gets a restraining order, but eventually gets a match with Triple H after he threatens to have Kane throw Stephanie McMahon off a balcony. Okay, uh, I have to I have to comment on this because the story here is that he gets a restraining order from Stephanie to Undertaker. So he's like, Undertaker, you can't go near Stephanie, which is probably good considering that time that Undertaker kidnapped her. But Oh, it's true. Good good pull there. But he's like, Oh, well your restraining order doesn't say anything about Kane. So Undertaker's like, damn it, I can't legally go near Stephanie McMahon, but I can have my brother Kane legally threaten her life. And again, we go back to, you know, when the WWF goes legal. Yeah, it's never good. <laughs> Um, Triple H destroys Undertaker's bike. Um, we come back to the ring, and Motorhead is playing Triple H's theme live. Uh, but Lemmy doesn't know the words to this fucking song. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You uh, know, they actually, believe it or not, despite how bad this performance was, they invite Motorhead back to perform this song at WrestleMania 21, and it's even worse. Oh my god, I can imagine. Man, Lemmy's looking but rough just, here, too. Yeah, and this was 2000, this was 18 years ago. Yeah. And, and he, the whole, the whole song, he's just going, I am the game! I am the game! I am the game! I am the game! Which I have to admit, like, it's it's not like this is a song they play all the time at fucking concerts. This is just a song they, they're all, they like, were like, all right, Triple H, we'll play your song. Um, yeah, I, so that's another thing I was curious about. So, the game is not originally from Motorhead, then? No, it is. It, the song is originally from Motorhead, but, you know, it's like they they did the song for Triple oh, they H, made and it it's just not... for, gotcha. Yeah, and it's also, not like it's one of their songs, so did, they don't play it that often, so I understand why he may not remember the words. Did you notice that they're, like, showing everyone's intro music as, like, oh, you can get it on this WWE CD, and did you notice what CD yeah. it was? The same CD as Pie by The yes. Rock. Have a slice of that unadulterated delight. Exactly yeah. the same CD as Pie. If you guys listening to this have never heard Pie, go listen to it. I would say Peyton just put it in the show right here. The show's already going on pretty long, so what you know what could Pie hurt us? But I think that could get us on copyright stuff. So just go listen to Pie. You you will regret it. But also. You'll love it? Yeah, you'll have mixed feelings. Um, and then, of course, Undertaker uh, is Biker Taker. He comes out on his bike to Limp Biscuits rolling. It's a shame we couldn't have gotten a battle of the bands here. Yeah, man. You know, though, the thing is, whenever someone comes out and performs at WrestleMania, like when, when Motorhead came out and performed, I spent that time making some ramen noodles to eat for lunch before we recorded this, because it went on for a while. And I will say, Motorhead is like the ramen noodles of rock music. 
I would agree with that. Um, R.I.P. Remy. Um, so <laughs> Lemmy, sir. Uh, Lemmy. Did I say Remy like fucking Ratatouille? You did. <laughs> God damn. And it. as we know, Remy from Ratatouille will never die. Uh, JR mentioned something pretty interesting, and it's that these two have never wrestled on pay-per-view before, which is crazy to me to think about. Yeah, that is pretty wild. How far uh, how far into his career is Triple H at this point? Pretty damn far, since like 96, I want to say. I mean, that's Jesus. not crazy, but that's five years. Yeah, no, that is, that's a lot, though. I thought that Triple H was a little bit newer than that. Mm-mm. No, and then Taker, you know, has been around since... Taker's been about, like, I guess, did he debut in 90? I think he did. So, yeah, I think Taker's been around for a while. Uh, JR mentions that Taker's 8-0 at WrestleMania at this point. You know, Taker has this legendary WrestleMania streak that's, you know, just starting to kind of, you know, get at least mentioned at this point. Um, This is before the era where people start actually challenging him with the sole intention of breaking his streak, but... uh. We go to the outside. We start on the outside, actually, right away. Um, and Taker even knocks Triple H onto a table, like just a regular wooden table, which has now replaced the Spanish announce table, which collapses right away. Yeah, man. Um, the Spanish back- announce table gets their table fucked up twice in one show. That's impressive. Uh, we eventually go back in the ring, and that's when the bell rings. Um Taker dominates Triple H until he goes for the old school, but Triple H tosses him off the top rope to the mat. Um, Triple H tries pinning Taker several times, but can't put him away, so he goes to the outside and gets the sledgehammer, his favorite weapon. Uh, But the ref snatches the sledgehammer from him. Um... Taker tries to punch uh, Triple H, but Triple H ducks. Triple H goes for the pedigree, but Taker reverses it and catapults Triple H into the ref. Taker hits a huge chokeslam and pins, but only gets a two and a half count. Taker is so mad that he just kicks the ref and gives him an elbow drop, which is apparently the the strongest elbow drop that has ever happened because that referee is down for like the next ten minutes. Yeah, I think he might have just also been really sleepy and that sort of compounded with the elbow drop because he is out, man. He is donezo. That's the one thing about this match. It is hard to suspend disbelief that the referee would be down that long from an elbow drop. (laughs) Uh, So basically this match turns into a hardcore match. Um, and they end up fighting into the crowd and into this, like, audio-technical area. A Triple H finds a chair, and he starts beating Taker with it. Um, Taker eventually fights back and choke slams Triple H straight off of that platform into the floor, and it looks super cool until they showed the replay of him, like, landing on a fucking, what looked like a mattress. Yeah, because the thing is also, like, because, okay, when they show it from, like, straight up, it looks like it's really high up, but when they show it from that angle, it's like, oh, that's actually kind of tiny, and he landed on this big yeah. mattress thing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, damn. Um, so the EMTs are looking at Triple H, but Taker jumps off the platform with an elbow drop. Taker starts punching the EMTs, and he go back goes back to pummeling Hunter. I will say, that they is go- a fucking GTA-ass move right there. Beat someone up till the e- uh, till the EMTs show up, and then start beating up the fucking EMTs. 
Exactly. Um, so we eventually get back to the ring. The ref is still down, uh, which I put how. Yeah. Um, Taker grabs a sled, sledgehammer is about to hit Triple H with it, but Triple H gets a low blow. Then Triple H gets a sledgehammer, charges at him, but gets a big boot. Uh, Triple H tries for a tombstone pile driver, but Taker reverses it into one of his own. Pins him, but the ref is still down. So Taker lifts Triple H up for the last ride, but as he's picking him up, Triple H gets the sledgehammer and hits Taker right in the head with it. And this is one of the few times where they actually use the sledgehammer and actually hit somebody with it as opposed to, like, covering up the top of it and hitting hitting them with it. That's because this time it's a fake sledgehammer. Oh. Taker actually gets injured with it. So they got injured with the fake sledgehammer, so they go back to using the real sledgehammer from now on. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. You know, though, I do have to say, like, if I, I, I guess it depends on how you fake it. Because if it was like rubber, I see where that shit would hurt. Yeah, I, I don't exactly know how it was faked, but I know that in this match it was faked and it actually injured Taker. Um, Triple H pins him, but Taker kicks out at two. Uh, Triple H starts punching him in the corner, and that's when Taker grabs hold of him and hits a last ride power bomb, pins him for the win. I thought this was a fun and pretty brutal match. Uh, hard to suspend disbelief that the ref would be down that long, and why didn't he disqualify Undertaker once he woke up? But whatever. Yeah, you're right about that. It was it was a lot of good fun, but you I do like have the kind points. of the story they told with the sledgehammer, and this is kind of like a turning point I think for Undertaker when he goes because Undertaker wrestles a lot of matches that are just like Undertaker versus Big Boy. And this yeah. is kind of the pivot to where Undertaker starts actually having good matches at WrestleMania. Because he'll, he'll face Ric Flair the next year, uh, and then he starts wrestling guys like Kane and Randy Orton, Batista, and having pretty good matches. So uh, I gave it a three and a half stars. That's fair. You know, though, I got to wonder, watching this, with like, because the whole thing here is like, they were wondering, like, is Undertaker going to murder Triple H? Right, they're like the murderous intent of the Undertaker. What if he just brought a gun in the ring? <laughs> I'm waiting for the day someone comes into the ring with a gun. Here's the thing: Has a wrestler ever pulled out a gun on another wrestler? Yes. What? Not in the ring, but in a segment between Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Steve Austin showed up at Brian Pillman's house and tried to attack him, and Brian Pillman pulled out a gun, and then the camera, and then they went to commercial break. So you had no idea whether or not Brian Pillman murdered a man on television. Holy shit! Well, damn. I, you know, I. The thing about guns in the WWE universe is that as soon as you introduce them, all of your big dudes are kind of useless because then there are guns. <laughs> And you could just always say, why don't they just use the gun? <laughs> yeah, once you go gun, you can never go back. Right, right. So we get to our uh, our main event here, Steve Austin versus The Rock for the WWF Championship. They announced that it is a no disqualification match, which the announcers are kind of surprised about. Uh, you know, We've had plenty of hardcore no DQ type matches, so you know why not make the main event one as well? Um, 
we talked about this pretty in depth, uh, you know, on our Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon episode. So, you know, I think we don't need to go into too much deep detail. Just hit the high points. Um, but yeah, this is the second time Austin and Rock are going to wrestle each other at WrestleMania. Pretty much one of the biggest rivalries ever in the WWF. Uh, and it's cool to see The Rock here, especially, you know, brawling and getting kind of brutal, you know, blading twice in one match. Yeah, I think man. that's pretty nice to see from The Rock. So bloody, such a... The thing about this match is it's so fucking long. But I will say, you know, I'm never really a fan of long matches, but it does serve a por- purpose here. I almost said a porpoise, like the sea creature. It serves a purpose here just because, like, it show- it goes to show how exhausted they both are with all the blood and everything and um it sells it really well yeah and uh i think uh i i think it's a good match it's a long match but it's it's good you know lots of false finishes you know you don't know what's going to happen oh yeah the um, back and forth is like very intense what eventually does happen is that Vince McMahon gets involved and uh you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Both of both wrestlers have had rivalries with Vince, but he ends up siding with Stone Cold and helps Stone Cold get the win by beating the shit out of The Rock with a steel chair. And Steve Austin wins, uh, turns heel, and wins this match, uh, although the crowd doesn't really react to him as a heel. They're still cheering for him because it is in Houston. Uh, Austin's from Victoria, not too far away from, from Houston. So... Um, you know, he shakes hands with Vince at the end of the match, and this is kind of what, you know, puts the nail in the coffin for the Attitude Era. Um, and then they, you know, they celebrate together. They share some beers. Basically, the story here is that Vin- uh, Steve Austin sold his soul to the devil so that he could win the WWF championship. Um, yeah. What do you think and, about uh, it as a whole, this match? I mean, you know, it's a great match. It's It's one of the classic matches, I think. Um, it sort of is in the canon of, like, things that are must-watch. Um, I do have one gripe, and that's that there's a man in the crowd holding an HBK sign, and Shawn Michaels is nowhere near this pay-per-view. What are you doing? Yeah, he's not even an active, he's not even an active competitor or even behind-the-scenes person at this point, so. Yeah, man, you kind of, you kind of, you know, made a sign for no reason. And then also uh, there's this guy, <laughs> I don't know why I'm just talking about signs now, but there's a guy that keeps holding up signs, these yellow signs with black text that say like, McMahonfigurines.com or SteveAustinFigurines.com. And so I think I this man just this. went and registered a bunch of different wrestler domain names. <laughs> to sell off his his toys? Yeah, to sell his toys, to go to the same one single site, and brought a bunch of different signs. So rather than, what's wild to me is he didn't just name it, like, WWE or WWF figurines. He named it, like, each, he he named a bunch of different domains and made a bunch of different signs, and I just thought that was wild. That's commitment. I give this match a four and a half out of five stars. I say it's, uh, you know... Probably one of the WWE's greatest and most memorable matches of all time. Um, I love JR's commentary here, though. He's like, I thought I knew Austin. I thought I knew the Texas Rattlesnake. I just want to know why. Why did Stone Cold sell his soul to Satan himself? 
Yeah, no, he he's he does a great job there in assisting the story. Um and yeah, man, it's just such a big turn turning point um and and such a big match to come at the end of a, a fantastic pay-per-view, uh, a great WrestleMania where we've already seen so much good shit. Just a, a great way to cap that off. What did you think about this show as a whole? I really loved it. I really loved especially, you know, Kurt Angle forward is all really good. Barring, nope, not barring the gimmick match. The gimmick match got a 5 out of 5 from me. Um, so including <laughs> the gimmick match. Uh, I, I just thought, you know, it was fantastic show. Yeah, it was. There wasn't, there was no match that was really just terrible. Uh, the Ivory and China match was probably too short to really be anything. The 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 APA Taz and Right to Censor match was eh, it wasn't bad, but you know overall this match has a lo- or this show has a lot of great matches with Steve Austin and The Rock, Triple H and Undertaker, the TLC match, uh, the Benoit and Angle match. Th- those are all like I feel like really great. Some of the best matches that have been on a WrestleMania before. So yeah, you know, I agree. All in all, a lot of people when you know. Asking like, "Hey, what's the best WrestleMania of all time?" They usually, you know, caveat with that, caveat that with, you know, besides WrestleMania 17, because it's, you know, it's a no-brainer that this one's the best one. Um, yeah, man, and I can totally see why. All right, that's about gonna do it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. We want to encourage you to watch along with us. So next week, we're actually gonna be doing something a little different. Uh, planning on switching from the Cole. WWE library, and we're going to do some TNA, some total non-stop action. TNA, Unbreakable, 2005. We'll be watching one way or another. This one's not on the WWE Network, so we'll be there right alongside you, finding it wherever we can. And as always, don't worry, we won't snitch. You can always keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter at Termical Train. Zach, anything you want to mention or plug before we go? Um, Just to rate and review us on iTunes if you can, because uh, we, we need those. We'd appreciate them. Our, to Absolutely. those of you out there uh, listening, our good friends. Apologize once again for the length of this episode and the uh, the shitty audio quality at the beginning. We were just so fucking excited for WrestleMania. We were so excited us? for WrestleMania, we forgot to plug in our fucking microphones. Well, I did. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch! Oh, my God! I did it for the run. Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. A three big dudes production.
Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.